Hey friends, I'm really sorry that this episode came out a little bit late. It's especially funny because right here at the beginning of the of the interview that I did with uh, with my good buddy Jeremy for this week's episode, uh, he mentioned how jealous he was of my backlog of episodes that I've been doing the post work on and how well I must sleep at night. But then here I am just very like last minute um, and d- indeed past the last minute, uh, you know, late from my usual schedule uh, getting this episode out. So I do apologize for that, but hopefully uh, the wait is worth it. This is a a nice, big, long episode that I certainly enjoyed recording. I mean, I love hanging out with Jeremy and chatting with him, maybe too much, as is evidenced by the three-and-a-half-hour runtime here. But uh, we're, we're talking through one of his uh, albums. He's getting ready to put together a new album. Um, and in preparation for that, I was like, oh, hey, sweet. Once that new album comes out, I'd love to do a talk-through like we have, with, like we did with Oyster Wives Rant. Uh, I don't know, that was a year and a half, two years ago, something like that. And uh, and then I realized, oh, we never did a talk through of Bannocks of Barley Meal. And I had intended to, you know, and we'd talked about doing it. We just never got around to actually putting it on the calendar. So it's kind of a fun look back now that that album's actually been out for a little while. Uh, we talked through some of the tracks and making the album and a lot of other stuff too. And we play some of the tracks through the episodes. So hopefully you'll enjoy it very much. Um, also, the Way Too, Twa- Way Too Twags Bagpipe in History podcast celebrated hitting 50,000 downloads this month. And uh, if you're listening in the future, that is this month being June of 2023. So over on bagpipeswag.com, um, the Way Too Twag podcast does have a shop over there. And uh, kind of in celebration of the the milestone for downloads, we've got uh, a couple of t-shirts on heavy discount for the rest of the month. So, And which, as this episode comes out, is only about one more week, I guess. So lots of cool stuff to get over there, which will support, you know, Jeremy, um, as well as Bagpipe Swag, uh, buying merch there on the, on the site there. Uh, lots of cool stuff to get anytime. But if you hear this before June is over and you want to support his show and, and uh, show off that you're a cool a cool listener of of way too twags bagpipe and history podcast you can get some t-shirts on heavy discount uh just until june is over so worth hopping over there there'll be a link in the show notes and and also one other fun little note before the episode starts uh speaking of podcasting friends uh our good friend uh rab the the one and only the big one not the little one big rab himself of the of the big rab show uh he just asked if we could maybe make quick mention we're very happy to make mention uh of the fact that uh they are doing another Big Rab Show podcast live at Piping Live next month in August. So that's going to be on the Thursday of Piping Live on the 17th. Uh, it's going to be at 5 p.m. local time at, a, at Piping Live. So if you're going to Piping Live anyway, plan to attend that. If you weren't planning to go to Piping Live, maybe go just for this. You know, I'm certainly jealous. I wish I could be over there for it. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. Um, maybe someday. But yep, that's Big Rab Show's podcast, uh, Big, Big Rab Show podcast live at Piping Live <laughs> on August 17th. And then uh, don't forget to check out uh, Way Too Twag's Bagpipe Industry podcast. Get some some merch for the show from uh, from bagpipeswag.com. And if you don't already have the Bannocks of Barley Meal uh, album, there will be a link to where you can get that off of Bandcamp in the show notes as well. Worth getting. It's a great album. We talked through a lot of the tracks in this episode, but by no means all of them. There's a lot of really wonderful stuff on there. So, with no further ado, here's here's the episode. And thanks again for waiting an extra day. Sorry, sorry it was a little late. Have a good one.
with, yeah, oh yeah, that's, that's true. So this is this is the the challenge this time around, Jeremy. I was thinking about this. Um, how like, well, it's not like it's not like we hadn't like been friends when we talked through Pay the Pipe Maker, right? But yeah. like usually when I'm doing an interview with a piper, it's it's usually like the first time we've spoken directly. Like sometimes we've chatted a little bit ahead of time, you know. But the the getting to know you thing is very natural because that's exactly yeah. what I'm doing. Whereas this is a different challenge that I have yeah. encountered a couple times with some other friends that have come on the show. That, but like you and I have such an such a constantly active conversation. Yeah, it's like, like we, uh, I talk to you more than maybe my wife. Yeah, when you do, <laughs> like, they're, they're, like to some degree, we gotta remember, like, there's a potentially a listening audience at some point, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or at least we'd like to tell ourselves there might be one, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Because I was yeah, about I was, to I was go ahead and just like, keep talking about <laughs> this stuff. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> I was worried about it. I was worried about it when we did when we recorded "Pay the Pipe Maker." Uh, and listening back, like that, that held together pretty well. Uh, I thought but, so. But this one, uh, this one is definitely like, oh, oh, oh no! What like, every, this... every day we talk, I don't, I don't right, know. right. It's I like think... how much weight backup, wait, like picking up in the middle of something or, or referencing conversations that have already happened. It's a whole, yeah. it's a whole thing. And that's what we should do. We should just aim for the most inside, yeah, most exactly. insider baseball conversation <laughs> yeah. only. That pretty much just John Charles will get. Yeah, John Charles will be our one listener. <laughs> Speaking of which, I am I am a hundred percent hoping that he's going to come through in the chat um, while we are talking with suggestions <laughs> of what I should ask you. So he's a fully participating member of in all ways. Um, the uh, the uh, I, I'm I'm in my head about this though, Jeremy. That uh, okay? I just I just finished listening to Beyond Good and Evil uh, by uh, the philosopher whose name I'm always afraid to pronounce Nietzsche Nietzsche oh, okay. Nietzsche sure. and. Well, first of all, there are times when I wonder why this guy is respected at all, honestly. There, it's some of the stuff that he says is pretty, like, beyond being a, a product of the times, you know? Sure. Where it's like, okay, that sounds kind of racist, that's kind of sexist, but you can be like, well, it was a different time, <laughs> you know? It kind of, I think it goes beyond that. Like, just, uh, like, some of the stuff that this guy thinks, it's like, any human with even like an imagination ought to realize that this is ridiculous you know yeah especially um, a person who's espousing like to be a philosopher exactly right? yeah somebody who like <laughs> says they think uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but there is some of the points that he made about like what our actual motivations are for what we do etc like have had me maybe too too much inside of my own head about like is anything I'm doing actually motivated from desiring good or do I just want accolades, you know, like, and that's interesting. And in that, so my brain's already there. And then today I listened to one of our previous conversations to prepare to have another conversation (laughs) with you. And I'm like, what, what are my motivate? Am I, am I talking, am I making friends so I can talk with my friends and then listen to myself, talk to my friends to congratulate myself on having friends, (laughs) you know? I think that's a good, I mean, that's fine, right? That's like, what podcasts are, right? Yeah. I mean, like, worst case scenario, I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah. Anyway, I, I think that's great. Like, the, the cool thing about the Droning On podcast is that it always feels like, uh, oftentimes, it feels like listening to you become friends with somebody or listening to you catch up with a friend about a thing that I care about, right? Like, uh, about bagpipes and... Uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of nice to be able to listen back to conversations like that. Yeah, I can I can see how that would be really nice. Anyway. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, it makes me feel a little better about it. And I and I do often make the joke with guests that like my my production time is so long 
yeah. that by the time an episode actually comes out after the interview, it's new to both of us. And so yeah. the interviewee and myself both get, both get to enjoy it as if it's like new to us. We don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, oh. it's that's I, I feel I'm a week ahead right now on podcasts and it feels amazing. <laughs> I can't I can't imagine Breathe. the the well how well you must sleep at mm-hmm. night. Uh, mm-hmm. having, <laughs> I think having deciding to go out. every other week right from the beginning was maybe like one of the few really good decisions I've ever made in my life. Yeah, I, I mean, the the email exchange I had with with Gary West was pretty telling is like, I, <laughs> where he was talking about how much work it is to do every mm. week. Like, yeah, yeah, I I completely uh, I can't believe that I did this show weekly for yeah. as long as I <laughs> Looking did. Looking back, uh, can't even imagine how you pulled it off. Yeah. Well, um, I wanted I wanted to uh, open the. I thought it'd be fun to open. I mean, it makes so much sense to open the episode with it instead of drones to open with track one, the Bannocks yeah. of Barley Meal track, which yeah. partly because I thought it'd be fun. Like, am, am I misremembering, or did you use that track a lot as the intro for season five? Yeah, mostly mostly that was the. It was probably split half and half. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at first, the the intro was uh, track fifteen, which is the, the Irish Hoboy. Mm-hmm. But the way that Irish Hoboy is spelled, is it looks like the hot Irish boy. Hot Boy, yeah. and I was like, well, I don't know that I can really. And and I realized after Oyster Wise Rant that that was going to be my the gimmick or whatever for the albums was that the the title of the album was going to be whatever the intro music was. So yeah. As much as Irish Hot Boy or Hoboy is is a much better tune for an opening. But I was like, I can't, I can't like make a cover that is <laughs> right. The Irish Hot Boy, <laughs> yeah. And it also like probably the Irish Hot Boy is like referring to Illin Pipes, and it's more than Illin Pipes. So I was like, oh, okay, we'll do Bannocks and Barley Meal. But what if you put out an album called the you know for all for all intents and purposes for most of us encountering the album, it's called the Irish Hot Boy. And what if yeah. you just like sold like ridiculous amounts of you know r- copies and yeah, just... I missed a missed a golden opportunity. Yeah, there, really, yeah. That's what I did. But yeah, so probably half of the it was it was sort of a funny thing to be like, oh, I can't the the podcast has changed in, in terms of like thinking about uh, kind of our, our changing motivations for things. Sometimes like mm. the podcast is sort of weird how that now I know I'm going to put an album out. Like mm. you know, know that ahead that. of time. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that when season four came out. It was yeah. sort of like, a, oh, I guess I should do that. And now that I know that, okay, well, like I've got to think about a a good title track that is like a track that has a cool name, has some kind of weird thing I can do with the, the title of the tune and also like sounds good and could lead an album. So like this, this one for like whatever season seven, like that's why the, the opening music is cold and raw. Like that feels like a good title mm. for an mm. album, especially like first year living in North Dakota. This album it is called so cold sense. and raw. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so anyway, Bad Ex Body Meal, um, it was, it's a cool tune like in that it fits with, it fits with a lot of the things I'm interested in for mm. the podcast in 18th century music where I like tunes that show up in many different um, published collections in the 18th century. Um, and so like there's there's even some version of it that's supposedly attributed to Walker Jackson, I think. It mm. isn't. It probably isn't a Walker Jackson tune, but it's all over the place. Um, unfortunately, I, I kind of think it stinks. Like, I don't, I don't hate it, right? Like, it's a cool tune, but it's like, it definitely needed... I'm I'm glad for adding the Eliza Ross tunes after it. Like uh, yeah. on its own, it didn't really feel all that great. Like it's not a great standalone tune to me, but like it's it's good for like the foundation for hmm. Alistair of the Stoops and the Big Foot of the Deceitful One, which is such a great title for a tune. Isn't I love that title. Do you know if there's a is, if there's a story behind? Is the Deceitful One Satan or is that a 
somebody she knew or like what's what's the do you, do you i don't know? know i know that it has a less fun name mm. um bigfoot of the like in eliza ross's manuscript i think it's like deceitful one and then there's another version of it that's like sweet one or something like that mm. so but i don't know it's you know it's one of these gaelic gaelic tunes and from like just all of those eliza ross tunes have some gaelic song version of it that mm. like you never know if it's like oh this is some deep thing or somebody's rhyming joke scheme yeah right? yeah um, so I don't know. I don't know the story behind it. I, I have relatively large feet myself. I was I was eleven or twelve years old when my shoe size passed my age up, and yeah. um and I'm always so I'm I'm always drawn to anything that talks about large feet and feel like identifying with it to some degree. I'm also very deceitful, so it's a really good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so you identify with it, yeah. But that's uh, is your arrangement? I my 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 ear palate isn't always all that refined. Was this? Um, I, I know there's illum pipes and border pipes in there, right? Yeah. Are those regs, or am I hearing you do your face regs on the border pipe drone thing in this one? Do you remember? Uh, that's, yeah, that's neck reg. That's neck reg right there. <laughs> that's neck regs. Yeah. For, for anybody who's uninitiated, we'll, we'll have just barely heard the tune. Will you tell me about, just describe the neck reg and how that works? Because I think like, it's awesome. It was just like a, it was, this is a John Charles thing, kind of like. But, but um, first of all, this is on the border pipes. Right. Yeah, it's on it's on border pipes. So I, you know, the last time we talked was for Pay the Pipe Maker, which was uh, in theory a fundraising album, so I could uh, feel okay about getting a, a second chanter on this uh, this John Swain, mm-hmm. this set of John Swain border pipes, and like I wanted to play in G and also A, so I got the the A chanter, which is in like um, kind of it's fingered like a Highland Highland chanter, mm-hmm. um, but it can pinch up a little bit easier. But it uh, but then I wanted a G chanter which is more like john's normal border pipe chanter which is really more like french or german kind of sounding and mm-hmm. uh finger style but anyway uh i i was cheap and kind of broke and so i was like i want i want to be able to do both of these things but i only want one pair of drones mm-hmm. what can we do and so john swain like put these little um corks on the side of the drone so i could pop the cork out and they would play an a or i could put the cork in and they would play in g mm-hmm. and so i you know, John Charles said something about like, so what kind of tuning can you do with that, or what kind of experimentation can you do, or something. And I misunderstood what he what he was asking, and I just started like, so <laughs> it was like an accident, I guess. I was like, okay, let's see what I can do with this. And then I realized if I had the tone hole pointed the wrong direction when it was playing an A, I would like close it off and it would switch to G. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You can just, I can almost play it like a regulator of like adjusting the the pitch of the drone. If anybody uh, wants to see time. it in action, you do have a few videos on your social media feeds where you're just playing along and your your face then goes to the side or away from the side and it opens or closes this. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a cool thing. And it was it was sort of neat. I, I, I was experimenting with it and then it, it turns out that it's a, it's not really like a robust tradition, but it's like, it is a thing that... Um, People up in, um, oh, I'm going to feel real bad about getting this wrong. But, like, anyway, Swedish like Swedish pipes have drones that kind of mm. lie across your lap, kind of, sort of. Mm. Um, and uh, a buddy of mine was, like, kind of pointing out that he does it on there and that there's uh, another person that he learned it from um, that's also from that same region, but I guess not technically Scandinavia. Um, are, they, are they using their, like, forearm if it's across yeah, their lap? Yeah, so they're... It's, it's positioned in such a way that it's a lot easier to use that kind of like regulators where you uh, can move your, your forearm along to, to do it. That's, that's, yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole, I did a whole, um, podcast episode on it too, that people could listen to, um, these folks that are 
uh, that I didn't I didn't learn it from, but like that are doing it better than I can do it on, on this one drone. <laughs> but isn't that funny? How like like how often? I mean, we've talked about uh, like like pinching up to high B before too, right? Like how often do you do you come across a thing that you think, oh, I, I've I've stumbled into this cool thing, you know? And then you find out people have been doing it for centuries, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's nothing new, right? Like nothing new under is, the sun. There's That's nothing right. new. And like used to, it was weird. It was, it was a good uh, it was a good thing to come to peace with, I guess. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Where you think you think you're doing something cool and cool and new, um, and then like, oh no, this has been around for a while. That's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Now the the melody of Bannock's a barley meal. Tell, yeah. tell me if I'm just grasping it at, at hairs here, you know, if this is just only happening in my own head. But um, it struck me as one of those melodies that sounds lyrical. I don't know um, if that maybe is because of the timing, right? I, it feels to me like, uh, let's see. I, sh- I should have written this down so I would be more clear. Um, do you listen to much Gypsy Swing by chance? Man, uh, not in a while. Uh, well, but for a bit of time. Well, that, that's just, it's just one of the first things that comes to mind. Like some of David Gilmore's guitar solos, um, there's, a, there's a gypsy swing tune called I'm Not Impressed. Uh, I think it's by the Hot Club of San Francisco. One of the Hot Club bands, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, that, it just, there, there are a few melody lines out there that just like, they're instrumental, but they sound like they're saying words. You know, they have cadences that sound like oh, sure. talking. And it just, to me, it's like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
you can definitely stand on the shoulders of these people mm-hmm. um, that have, have put so much work in. But. Well, I'm going to, we've got some other tracks to listen to later that are definitely going to bring in some other questions about singing and stuff too. But um, before we move away from the title track, I also wanted to ask you about your cover art. If I remember right, you made those bannocks at Barley Meal that are featured. Yeah. Had you, I've never had a bannock myself. <laughs> Had you previously tried your hand at baking these? Was this a totally new experience for sake of the album? Um, this this approach, I guess, was different. Like when I was a kid, I made a lot of uh, what I called bannocks, which were just uh, elaborate or not elaborate, but just like very oatmeal heavy cookies, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I saw some, I read in some kind of weird you know, book about Scottish history in the biggest scare quotes possible that had some story about a, a woman handing out bannocks to Jacobites fleeing after Culloden. And I was like, well, I better do this. And then it had a, a recipe for bannocks, which was interpreted in my, like, 11-year-old brain to just be, you know, a lot of oatmeal and honey mm-hmm. and some milk to hold it together. <laughs> and so I made those for a long time. Um, and when when I was... Every time I've been in Scotland, like, I got hooked on, especially the last time I got really hooked on oat cakes, which I think are are probably closer to what bannocks looked like back then, but mm-hmm. um, uh, in, like, the, the 18th century, which are just, like, real flat crackers, right? Like, they're, mm-hmm. uh, they're a very stodgy thing. So, uh, anyway, so I, I made a batch of those. I was going to just use Stockin's Oat Cakes, uh, which is, like, my favorite oat cake brand from the Orkney Islands, and... Um, I, it was kind of fun getting ready for the podcast of like emailing Stockins. I was trying to like, I was hoping they would be like, well, you could be our brand ambassador and I could be all set uh. with like oat cakes for life. But um, <laughs> it was one of those like, weird things like where the like. coolest thing to be a brand ambassador for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I posted the picture of like the initial uh, batch of like a cover art I was thinking about using when I was going to use Stockins oat cakes. And yeah. I don't know, but the handful of uh, people that, that paid attention to the podcast from, from Scotland were like, Mate, those aren't bannocks. Those oh. are all cakes. Come on now. And it was one of these weird things. That I'm often in this weird position. I mean, like, words change and, like, the meaning of things change. And I, I acknowledge that and appreciate that. But there's this fine line of, am I ignorant or is mm. this just actually a historical thing that's going on? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I, I decided to, to make some bannocks. And they're, they're stinking good. But, yeah, just it's just barley meal or, or oat flour. And they're, you know, you can kind of tell from them. They're just griddle fried rather than baked, really. And mm. They were a dangerous thing to, to make. Uh, like they just they don't like they're they're good, uh, but they are much better with like loads of butter and jam on them. So it, that makes it, sense. It goes yeah. from like a what isn't uh, though. Thing, well, there's that. Yeah, but yeah, that that again that kind of started with Oyster Wise rant of like I needed to have something to um, some kind of a. I don't know, some cover art, right? So Oyster Rise Rant is just me, but, like, I did a weird, like, I'm going to eat oysters as a live stream or something to promote <laughs> the album. Uh, it was bad. Don't eat oysters in Iowa. Like, uh, that was the thing. <laughs> and I, I had to shuck them myself. Uh, and then when I shucked the, the Iowa, like, who knows how they got their oysters yeah. <laughs> uh, from from the Atlantic coast or whatever, there was, like, 
one of these parasites in the oyster. And oh, I was like, oh, boy. God, it just looks like a tiny little red crab. And I'm like, I don't know, man, this is a mistake. I shouldn't have done it. But, yeah, the album I'm working on right now is Roly Poly, which is, uh, like, it's a suet pudding. I don't really know that that's going to be terribly photogenic. So this this food gimmick might be over and done with anyway. Yeah, you're about <laughs> done with that. I, yeah. I've, I've, been th- I've been imagining Roly Poly in my mind all along like a, like a hostess ding-dong. Oh, yeah. You know, like a, like a, well, just a roll cake, you know? That would be far more photogenic than mm. what it would be, which is just like a mound of, you know, steamy white mass of, <laughs> like i mean it's, like boiled puddings are delicious alternative but they don't photograph to, uh, well you know al- alternative album title <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so so let's uh let's hit another tune then i want to hear uh track three which is, i really I, I know i've heard the gravel walk outside of your your podcast but definitely enjoyed it when it came up in the podcast and so i don't know maybe because of that i really like this set a lot um yeah yeah that was like my I'm realizing, especially because as we're recording this, I'm kind of in the middle of the Lark in the Morning deep mm, dives. And yeah. It's a weird trend. I still haven't caught part two. I love I loved part one. I'm excited for part two. Yeah, I think part two is... Uh, I feel I feel a little bad even calling part one part one because it's really just over the hills and far away. But the... Um, the I saw a thing and I asked Matt Seattle about it and he said it was wrong and I think it's right and here's why and that's kind of how gravel walk happened too like that <laughs> deep dive was I was like how does Highland Man kissed his granny match up with gravel walk and Matt's like yeah it doesn't I don't know why they say that it doesn't and then I found like Ha-ha. again this is one of the challenges of traditional tune archive is like the ABC notation like you can't really trust the ABC notation every time like oftentimes mm. they make adjustments and so if I remember correctly the I think it's Kerr. I think Kerr's Irish Music Collection or something has a setting for Gravel Walk, and the traditional tune archive didn't upload the full set. And like, there's a missing link basically that mm. if you go to the original source, there's a, a fourth part of Gravel Walk that matches or Highland Man Kisses Granny that match. Like, that's where they come together. You can see that basically Gravel Walk and Highland Man Kisses Granny shared a variation, and so that's why people say they're connected. But if you just use traditional tune archive and don't kind of dig a little bit deeper, you wouldn't be able to tell that. Um, anyway, you know, yeah, it's a great, it's a great tune. Jeremy, you, I, you, you mentioned that as an eleven-year-old, you read that thing and thought, "I better make some bannocks." I just, it's, I, I have an eleven-year-old son myself right now. And he's just a mess in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely not into cooking. But he is he is so so passionate about history, and it just it's just it's uh it's kind of delightful to me to 
be in this position of like maybe having uh maybe i have a um a uh a way of imagining you as a child that i wouldn't have had if i didn't have the child i do have myself oh, sure. I, I gotta say yeah. you seem like a delightful kid <laughs> <laughs> um sweet. and i don't mean to jump back in the conversation like that it's just it's just as you're as you're talking to me about and of course i mean i'm i'm an avid listener of your podcast and so like i hear you talk about you know your your delvings into um you know, archives of tunes and figuring out where, you know, on the four staff, uh, uh, written notation where those notes are supposed to go and all the, all this kind of stuff. And it just, I'm, I'm, I'm just somewhat in awe as I often am at the skill set that has been built up over years. Um, is how much of this, how much do you, do you feel like any part of like the skills that you use for like digging around and finding sources and stuff, uh, come from, or are a part of your, college studies otherwise or is this is this a different track entirely in your life you know the the this 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 thing you do to to find info for your podcast and stuff it's definitely aided by it's the the weird thing is like if you if you decide to be a professional student for a long time mm. uh you kind of it's really easy to lose sight of where you pick things up or where you learn things along the way mm. um mm. so i a lot of what I do for the podcast feels like a given, like anybody would do it, um, like that it doesn't require special training or whatever. And mm. and to a certain extent, I think that's true. I think there are plenty of people that could figure this out. Like if they be if that became the thing that they were interested in, they could they could figure this out. Yeah. Um, and like again, I'm che- I feel like I'm cheating because so much of it's already been like the groundwork has already been laid by traditional tune archive. Sure, like sure. I feel like traditional tune archive is like folk music's wikipedia like it is a great starting point it's a pretty bad place to end your research but it's a really great starting point um and like that's you know as i say that like that's not a given uh as somebody who is uh taking a break from grading Ah. (laughs) grading (laughs) my my papers like right like after it takes it takes a long time to like figure out how uh, how to find sources, like keywords, key terms matter. Like just the terms you're searching for things, like realizing that you have to, if you're looking for like insearchable text, um, which we, you know, we start to see some stuff like all the National Library of Scotland stuff is fairly searchable, mm-hmm. but like you can't be held up on, on like spellings. <laughs> like, uh, you gotta kind of yeah. play around with different spellings to find things. Um, I haven't, I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet because I've, I've been desperate to try to get my buddy Abe to kind of come on and have a conversation about it. Cause it feels like it's his research more than mine, but um, like, it's possible we have another source describing this, uh, this fur trade bagpiper guy, George Mackay. Um, we might not, but we might have it because it's just spelled different. Like there's a really interesting oh, yeah. anecdote about a guy that I would pronounce George McKee of like M A C K I E. Um, and he's, a, and he's wild. Like he, to me, I don't understand why everybody isn't talking about him, uh, that does like border pipe stuff, uh, or, or historic tunes mm. or Peabrook or anything. Cause he's George McKee. I think the, the name of the fur trade bagpiper is George Mackay. And so Abe figured out like, you know, you really should search for like wrong spelled versions of this too. And, and yeah. came up with this entry, but in this, it's in an encyclopedia of, of something. I don't think it's Johnson's encyclopedia, but it's in something anyway. George McKee comes up and he is a, uh, a lowland piper. So he plays like bellows, blown pipes. Mm. And he studied with the McCrimmons. Like he, he went to the McCrimmon school to learn mm. Peabrook, but he did it on border pipes. Um, 
And there's also like in the same entry that talks about George McKee, uh, they also complain about, uh, they said something like he'd be good, except he's too, he's too obsessed with playing notes above the octave. So like this guy <laughs> literally played high B's and high C's too yeah. much on his border pipes and people complained about it. And it's, it's made me really want to try a P-Brock out with like, I mean, I'm hoping to get that for the, the next album is to have a, uh, a P-Brock with a, a variation that, that goes breaks up the, the mold. second octave. Yeah. But, but Jerry, anyway, I, uh, I can't help once again, Oh, this might be this might be George Mackay, and oh, he really liked playing notes above the octave. Dude. Seriously, Jeremy, yeah. do you believe in reincarnation? <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> just wild. it's just so wild. Like the when I, I I honestly don't think it's the same person. I think and, it's a and you live in the Red River person. Valley now too. Yeah. Like live in the same place. Come on, <laughs> yeah. There's there's often these, um, yeah. There's definitely moments where I feel so angry that I share the exact same space with someone, but not the right time. Like, ah, you yes. just jump. How come the, like, we got space in the right thing, but the time is wrong. Right. I just, uh, it was weird that the first time when I worked for the park service, trying to like understand more about George Mackay, uh, I, I had this moment where I, I accidentally, like without remembering that time travel is a thing that people talk about and mm. and invent like i had this like well, we're in the same space if only we could just change the time like oh right no that's not possible that's time travel that's what <laughs> science fiction is made of but, that's a yeah. thing already yeah, yeah. uh but anyway, or, so i think I, I guess to to finish the the thread that i i got distracted yeah by sorry my, go on. myself uh yes uh I am cognizant of the fact, I am increasingly cognizant of the fact that it is not a given that people understand how to use archives or how to use internet searches and that yeah. kind of thing. And it does take some training. Um, I don't think it's inaccessible. Like once you start trying at it, like I don't think that it's particularly difficult to learn, but mm. it's like, it'd be foolish of me to think that it, that I'm not a benefactor of, like I definitely am benefiting from understanding how archives work and have like a basic understanding of like every archive and museum has a different search system and like a different database that they are convinced is the right one to use for their mm -hmm. system uh, or the one they can afford. And so kind of figuring out that it's an important skill to realize that every search field sucks, like, and like <laughs> really paying close attention to advanced search options and adjusting variables to, to find what you're looking for is really, um, yeah, that's, that's a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And it took, it took, it takes a long time to like practice and, and get, and to figure that stuff out but right yeah. well and you throw in the huge variable of any possibly imaginable spelling of the word that you're yeah. trying to find too or name yeah. i mean this is it like this is where like figuring out that a lot of I mean, this is the frustrating thing about how everybody uses a different search um, system but like oftentimes there is a code that you can punch in so if i want to know um like over the hills and far away is a good example right like some people spell it uh, or with an apostrophe, mm. some not with an apostrophe, some it's over. Um, so like you kind of have to realize, like, okay, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't search over the hills and far away because that's not going to work. So I should search part of that, like could do the hills mm. and that'll probably get me some stuff or and far or something like that. Um, but a lot of search engines will have coding where you can put like an asterisk. But that's the frustrating thing is that it's different for every search engine. So sometimes it's you put in an asterisk and then three letters and it'll just say, okay, that plus any other letter you find, like it'll it'll bring all those results up, you know. And mm. 
but it's it depends on the it depends on the system you're using. Sometimes it's an asterisk, sometimes it's a dash, sometimes it's a period. Like you just don't really know what the the system's going to be. But yeah. Um, anyway, well, tell me, what about with this with this to the gravel walk? Um, okay, maybe this is way too vague, but I kept expecting as I, as I listened to the track on the album, I kept expecting what are the this is this is Highland Pipes, right? Yeah. So I could say the D in the second tune. I think it was the second tune anyway. I think it was um, maybe it was just the second part of the. Uh, maybe it was just the second part. Is it one tune with variations throughout? Is that what's going it's, on uh, here? No, it's um, it's weird. It's weird. The some tracks lists. I'm I'm looking at the album and like yeah. Sometimes I list every single tune and sometimes I'm like well you know it's that set. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the gravel walk is uh, that that set is. Colonel McBain's Fancy, which is a, a tune I got from uh, Barry Shears's book um, that feels like a tune I've seen in a historic place, but I haven't yet. But like in terms of like reinventing the wheel, like Barry, Barry did all this before traditional tune archive of like buying up every 1800s mm. um, collection and kind of looking through them. So, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if it came from an old source. But uh, I haven't been able to find an older setting than uh, Barry's first book that um, uh, Gathering of the Clans, is it? I think is what it's called. Um, yeah, yeah, that's Gathering right. Of the Clans. Yeah. And then The Gravel Walk or The Gravel Walks, uh, that's like the third tune. So the second one is Brenda Stubbert's Reel, which is another tune that I played... Like for for a while in the '90s, like that was the set. It was Brenda Stibbert's and the Gravel Walk. Yeah, you no, know, that in makes some sense. Variation. Was did the, have the Tinkers done that tune? Probably. Like it was, you know, like Ashton McIsaac did it. Um, Seven Nations did it. Yeah. Like, okay. It was, so it's it's the right time period and the right people that like when you're hitting those D's. I I kept thinking like that's supposed to be a slurred C. Mm-hmm. And then I went, why do I think that? And then I thought, yeah. I can almost hear Aaron Shaw doing this in the back of my imagination. But I didn't yeah. have time to go through all of their albums to find where it was. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it's supposed to be. And I kind of, I wanted to do it. So the funny thing is that when Barry published it, so it's a fiddle tune, right? Like, Brenda mm. Stibbert's Reel is a, is a fiddle tune. And uh, Barry's the first person to publish it as a, as a Highland Pipe setting, I believe. Um, I mean, I, that's what Barry says anyway, and I believe him, I guess, is what I should say. Um, yeah. But it's, but yeah, it quickly became like this super popular tune. But when Barry first published it, it was before, like, Barry is such an interesting cat, because, like, he does all this stuff, but he's also a compete, like, he was also into competitions, right? So, yeah. like, there's lots of things that he understands how, like, it can be and should be musically, but he doesn't do it that way for, like, his books that he's selling to, like, the mass Highland piping audience, especially that first book, I think. Um because he's very cognizant of, of competition. Like, mm-hmm. I think even in, in our chat, he, he says that, like, well, you wouldn't do that for competition, you know, like this kind of disclaimer of yeah. like, well, you can't, you can't actually play it musically if you want to win. Um, <laughs> or, or you can't really follow this tradition too close if you want to win. But, uh, but yeah, so when, when Barry <laughs> published Brenda Stubert's, it was before everybody was playing C naturals or doing those, those C slurs in a big way. So he didn't do it. So he just left it as, as a uh, D. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I don't know. I, when I played that tune, I hated, I hated it. Uh, Uh. first, like I loved when I first started playing Brenda Stubberts in the nineties, it was like, yeah, man, that those, it's like pumpkin fancy. Totally. It's all that cool slurry stuff. And when I heard Barry setting at first, I was like, Oh man, that really gets, that's really improved from the, the D and then the, or the C. And then the more that I played, I was like, you know, I kind of, I kind of like it. I kind of like Barry's just using the D setting and it quickly turned into like, I'm going to mess with all of it. Like, I'm just going to do all of this in a more old fashioned way. So, Mm -hmm. Like Brenda Stibberts and Gravel Walk are are Burl 
show off mm-hmm. tunes, you know, mm-hmm. like you really get to show off uh, big burls. And one of the things I've always loved about uh, kind of the early 19th century collections is rather than use the big heavy burls, they used Tarluas. So okay. I was like, oh, okay, I'm just going to do Tarluas. I'm going to I'm going to do Tarluas. I think even Barry has it as as the the emphasized burl, but. They did Brenda Stibberts and Gravel Walk both using Tarluas rather than, than Burls, and I'm going to keep the D in there and just just go with it because it's that's, supposed to be a historical album. That, so that's the thing. Yeah, that's those it. are the nuances that that like it like that's what makes it special. So you know that's awesome. Yeah. Now I, you, your stomping foot is audible in that track too, and I, I wanted yeah. to ask you about like I'm all for it. I love I love hearing what's going on in the room when I when I listen to my piping albums, you know. Yeah. And I'm just curious, like, to what degree when you're recording tracks for 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 this album specifically and in general, do you ever position the mic such that it will specifically pick up the stomping foot because you want that in there, or is that just no, a happy well, accident? For for Bannock's the Barley Nail, I recorded most of it. Uh, on the second floor of my house in Iowa. So like, and it was a hardwood floor. Mm -hmm. And so it just happened kind of naturally. I'm really, uh, so, you know, the, the timing of all this is weird. So like, I just put, just put my wife and a kid, uh, wife and kid on a, on a plane and I have the house alone to myself for a couple of days, um, to finish grading. But I've, I've been thinking like I, my recording space is in the basement now and with these like concrete floors. So there's just absolutely no, Mm -hmm. no, it's a kind of crappy sounding room and there's also no foot audible unless I really try hard at it. So I'm, I'm debating moving everything upstairs and trying to record it. Uh, Wife and baby return. Did you get all your grading done? <laughs> no, but I recorded two albums. <laughs> right. Right. Cause it's like, I mean, that was sort of the weird thing that, um, that's something that's really changed since having uh, a baby like the, mm-hmm. Uh, I spent a lot of time when he wasn't particularly mobile, kind of putting him on the floor and stomping next to him while playing a tune to like try to teach him rhythm, you know. And I think it, I think it worked. Yeah. Um, he's got more things going on now, but like before, he was terribly mobile. He was already like kind of moving to the beat, you know, to yeah. like he, the beat was in him, and it and it, and like moving my foot aggressively kind of became a bigger part of my. Came a, became a bigger part of my music as a mm-hmm. result of, of being a, a father to a, a new babe. Um, so yeah, I'd like to I'd like to record uh, I'd like to do that better to the point where like I've played music um, regularly one summer with somebody who does the the foot dancing like the oh yeah the yeah. French Canadian style like right. where you're you're jigging or whatever dancing while playing fiddle. I was like, man, that's really cool. It's so cool. <laughs> like, I love that. I mean, I should figure out how to do that. I don't know. Um, but they like, so Carrie, uh, was the name of the, the fiddler and like she, and I think a lot of people that do the step dancing while they play, uh, kind of have a platform for it in case they're in a yes. space that doesn't work well for it. Right. I was like, you know, I could just do that for the basement. Just build a little wooden box to, yeah. to, to kick on. The price of lumber has improved recently. Now's the time. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so no, I haven't. Um, but I've definitely, I'm starting to think about it more. Like, I, I don't know the, yeah, the adding the, it's already there percussion. It sounds really, sounds, sounds really attractive, but mm. figuring out the mic placement to, to be able, it seems like I'm not going to be able to get drones well and foot stomping well with the same mic placement. Right. And yeah. Like, I know the smarter thing to do would be to get more microphones, but I'm still just using a USB mic, and I don't have a complicated enough sound card to have two of those going at once. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's something I always have liked about my recordings being kind of 
natural, you might natural, say. Natural, I guess, yeah. but yeah, yeah, not not overly messed with and sure. kind of just one take uh, for the most part. But like, but yeah, I don't know. There's definitely listening to listening to to Breach's album with mm. like the mic placement catching up her finger right. moves. Like, it's definitely a thing I have done like accidentally before. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've recorded, uh, I've recorded just that, you know, like the, Oh, of course. He's done yeah. that too. But like, I've, I've done that before as a separate, as a separate thing. But the idea of having a microphone placed well enough that you could pick it up. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, so it's all still, I haven't done it yet, James. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a thing I'm thinking about, but well, yeah. now, now and I don't mean to pry too much into any, anything too personal, but you, you know, we, you, you mentioned like the pay the pipe maker album was intended to help offset the cost of those pipes because you were a poor grad student at the time. Yeah. You're now a, a, a poor college professor, but yeah. um, has the hedonic treadmill caught up to you yet? Or are you still in that like post student poverty state of just feeling like the richest man in the world because you no longer are paying tuition and you have a decent job, you know? And so yeah, is it just it like, up. I can get all the things I want, you know? It totally caught up. We thought, we yeah. thought we were on the, uh, it's so funny, like how the, the bureaucracy of, of working, I've never enjoyed the bureaucracy and the paperwork of any of the jobs I've had. And I've like, my two main careers have been working for universities or mm. for the national park service. So there's always been a lot of it. And especially starting with the park service, so much of the bureaucracy was such nonsense and like okay obviously none of this matters nobody looks at it mm-hmm. that i've never taken it as seriously as i need to which is all to say that um i thought that i was on the 12 month pay plan <laughs> oh so i was like we are so rich i'm gonna order oh. more bagpipes then summertime um, comes. and then realize like oh no we're we're actually oh okay that's it that, oh, that's yeah. it in a month oh bummer um so yeah i don't know i i haven't um uh, I've had many near misses and actually the, the most <laughs> extravagant purchase I made was before I realized this, like I, I bought that sea chanter for Maryland pipes sort of on a, like it's a, it's a thing I needed. Like I wanted it for this album yeah. uh, that I'm working on now. And I've always kind of wanted to have a, a flat pitch chanter and this one came up and it was affordable. I thought, especially based on the, Oh yeah, we got so much money coming right. in. Um, so yeah, I don't, so yeah, no, it's definitely caught up. It's definitely caught up. Yeah, <laughs> like, rude how quickly it does that. <laughs> yeah, right. Take Almost like it. having a kid. And it, like it didn't help that like we moved to an area where food is more expensive anyway, and then oh yeah, like the groceries and everything went through the roof. Everything went and then, crazy. Then a baby yeah. too. So like, yeah. So it's uh, yeah. Don't I? I should have should have ordered more bagpipes when I thought I was rich. Is, yeah. Is what this, yep. Yep. <laughs> That's that's the because you can always find a way to survive later, you know. Yeah, you can always yeah. find a way. So it just while the ignorant while the ignorant bliss is still upon you, right? Have, yeah. have fun while you can. Um, let's see another Highland pipe tune, Jeremy. Uh, I wanted to hit the track six, which is the you with the crooked horn and the little oh, cascade. Wow. Yeah. Um, I uh, that's an old band tune for me. So I, I oh really? Which one? Uh, you with the crooked horn. Yeah. Um, and so I you know i don't know soft spot in my heart for it i like it it's, it's so it's fun to hear you interpreting it um but also uh have you heard the story i i, th- I came across this i think on the session um about the little cascade no what about it well i it always feels like such a chipper happy song to me and i think part of that is because 
of there there's a there's a Scott Joplin tune, a ragtime piano piece called The Cascades. Maybe that's okay. maybe that's why. But um yeah, I think it was on the session. It was on one of these websites that uh somebody was saying that uh the guy who wrote that, uh McLennan, he uh was like a prisoner of war. Um, hmm. um what war though? I don't I'm not sure. World War Two maybe? Uh what? I guess not. I don't know. Uh no, it would be uh, boy. Some other would be, conflict. Maybe one I'm... of those imperialist things. I think mm. uh, it's 1880s is when it was published. Oh, so, gotcha. Um, at least that's what my notes are saying. I I, be, I believe you. I believe long. you. And this is also like, you know, in the same way that you said, like, uh, that like mm, traditional tune archive is a great place to start your research. Maybe not end your research. This is me reading right. someone else's comment on the session or something similar and going no deeper than that. <laughs> but oh the, well, the I, comment I, was... I was wrong. Sorry, oh, I was I was definitely wrong. Uh, Weird. That's a. It's so. Bu- it's such a bummer to find errors in my liner notes that are like locked in stone. <laughs> <laughs> and no I don't know where I got 1884 because uh, he was born in 1883. So I am. I am sure he didn't write this tune when he was one years old. Um, hey, it could the, have been the Mozart been of bagpipes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, well, well, the story that I heard was that he was in some kind of prisoner. Of, he was some kind of prisoner of war situation, and it was uh, like a leaky faucet that was. <sighs> I'm not sure. Hopefully not being used for torture, but definitely was like annoying. And that's that was the inspiration for the little cascade. Okay. That's what I'd read anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think it would be World War One. Mm. He died yeah, he died in the same comment that this is the guy who gave us the jig of slurs yeah i'm just seeing that on wikipedia too like his he's great i'm I, i'm embarrassed about this performance because like oh no I, th- I like this track what do you mean well so i just i don't know i just go back and forth i'm nervous uh like 
so I heard, uh, I, I saw a recording of Stuart Little playing The Little Cascade, mm. uh, the Glenn Fittick or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's a cool tune. And I wanted to find it. And it's sort of outside the purview of the, the, the tunes that I generally play. Um, yeah. But I was like, I just, I kind of love this tune too much. And I want it in my life. And a lot of what the podcast has turned into in these albums is like, how do I play these tunes enough that I don't forget them, you know? Uh, um, mm. And then I looked at McLennan's setting and it was when I was thinking about Strass Bays and trying to be less afraid of Strass Bays. Mm. And so I was like, you know, Angus Mackay didn't really put a lot of dotting and cutting in his tunes. And supposedly he was saying like, well, that's like that anything can be a Strass Bay. Just add that yourself. And so I'm, like, oh, I'm just going to play. I'm just going to improvise like the little cascade is a stress bay and mm. like how bad can that be and then like in rary and district's album comes out and like part of their medley is little cascade as mm. a, a stress bay and then it's like oh no <laughs> <laughs> like uh it just i became very uh i'm very self-conscious of this track now that i was like i thought this is just an old tune that Stuart little played but it wasn't going to go any further than that until like oh yeah it's on one of the hottest bagpipe band <laughs> albums of the last 10 years. Great, I, great, I doubt great. anybody's comparing and judging or anything. No, I'm sure they're not comparing. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> like, but yeah. I, I can certainly like, I, I stress based a form that I also have anxiety about. And it's like, my strongs are never strong enough. My weeks are never weak enough. My mediums are yeah. never medium enough. Dak Nabbit, you know? So well, it's like, I'm just so I'm constantly, one of the frustrating things about not competing, uh, and also not coming from like a strong, grounding you know like i don't i i learned from a a kind of service pipe band uh instructor who mm. you know didn't i don't know and like i never got far enough to be competing with them with the band where we would do stress based stuff seriously and so like the only time i played stress bay as the band was like four country dancers and anyway it's all just to say that like looking at old settings for stress bays and especially when i was like po- poking around um, like Scott's, like James Scott Skinner's stuff, who's like a fiddle stress bay player, and like stress bays belong on fiddles. Like that's where they kind of live. Most oh, I, right? I learned that from you, man. I think it was season yeah. four that you did like a <laughs> mixtape thing, and that was the first time I ever heard a stress bay on a fiddle, and it changed my life. That was huge yeah. for me. But like the realizing that there's a there's a pattern that a lot of the bagpipe music written stress bay stuff follows. Uh, mm-hmm. That seems like oh yeah it's you know strong weak strong pulse or whatever that that is and it's not that's not how it is all the time <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's not how fiddles do it and like I was looking at different settings for the same stress bay like the same tune and it was like well yeah the dotting and cutting is in a different place mm-hmm. um, it doesn't it isn't actually so uniform as they they say and then like and then. I, I say that often I am informed enough to be dangerous. Like I get all these opinions without a heck of a lot of good justification for them. And I just go with it. And then mm-hmm. I, you know, record you know, <laughs> youth crooked horn and little cascade. And I, and in hindsight, I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I should have put that out there, but it's like, y- you listen to how stress bay playing is so different in Cape Breton and in places where there wasn't the same level of, um, like we're going to adjust this dance to match European standards. Mm. Um, for like Highland piping approaches to it. It's just like, how oh, it kind of can, it can do different things. And I don't know. Anyway. So, uh, I, I love the little cascade desperately wanted to not forget it. So I put it on this album and then, 
and then yeah, Inverary District put it out, and I was like, oh god, like I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. Like in theory, I don't know that it's actually going to happen, but in theory, Gary West might play a track or two from this album on on the show at some point, and I'm just uh, unenjoy your piping, and I'm just terrified that he's going to be like, oh, I'll do this one. Maybe you just follow it up. I recognize. Yeah, he'll follow it up with Inverary. He's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one, yeah. one back to back. <laughs> yeah, but how how does that you at the Cricket Horn feel to you? Like, because it's. I've never, I have no idea where I picked up that setting. And like, you know, I, I went looking around for other settings of you with the cricket horn to figure out what version I was copying. And I've never really been able to figure out where, where I got it. Like, hmm. it feels like a thing I just made up, but cause I think mostly it's like a four part stress band in it or like, I think I always, I think I always played it as a, I think I only ever played two parts of it. Okay. It's been years. But it's also a tune that's come up a couple times. But that's that's partly the product of living in a specific place for long enough, you know? That, like, yeah. like honestly, I think it was probably when I was in high school was the first time I played it. But that's probably because some of the other pipers in the same high school band also played with the local community band and got it from the community band. And then years later, when we started another community band, some of the people who had been in high school and that previous community band were also in the new community band. And they brought the, you know, it's like, it's like the same yeah. four or five people kind of bringing tunes from band to band across a decade kind of situation, you know? Um, but I think did the high I, schoolers, yeah. Did the high schoolers like play it as like a dirty tune? Do y'all think of it as a, <laughs> no, as no, a it was, forbidden it, tune? It was, it was a legit tune for us for sure. Yeah. Cause it, it, I think it's a, it's about a, um, it's about a whiskey still. Like we wouldn't I, know anything about that down these parts. <laughs> right. But I think I think because there's Irish settings for it too. They're a little bit more like explicit about that. But um, we we just assumed it was about a sheep that had kind of a crooked horn. You know. That's, yeah. That's all yeah. there's to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The uh, there wasn't uh, there's a distillery in Utah County now, but it's only been here for like a few years. And uh, they made a big deal of it, actually. Like, uh, their advertising was all about, like, the drought is over and stuff like that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So you could have said whiskey still, and we wouldn't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) Uh, Now... You you mentioned like Jeremy. I don't I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but like your 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 expression of feeling like um, like knowing enough to be dangerous, that kind of thing, right? That like yeah. you kind of form an opinion, do a thing, and then find out like something else later that makes you question your actions, kind of thing. Yeah. Also, um, I I don't know. Uh, this maybe also kind of kind of connects to just thinking about like doing research about a thing. Y- your liner notes having a small mistake in them or something like that. Like all of this. I often feel like a little kid in the backseat of a car, you know, when it comes to like even my interests and the things I love, you know, bagpiping and stuff where like, I feel like there are a lot of capable people all around me and I am just delighted to listen to them and trust them. And like, they're talking about things just like a little kid in the backseat of the car, listening to two grownups talk about stuff. You kind of yeah. get what's going on. You can kind of follow what's going on, but really if you dig down, you didn't understand a third of the words that got said, <laughs> you know, sure. back and forth. Yeah. Um, that's how I, I often feel that way. And uh, like, does everybody feel that way? You know, like, like, Oh, what was it? You just, you just barely said, um, you said, who was it? Was it Barry that you were talking about? You said, that's what, so-and-so said and i believed him right yeah barry that's and and what i immediately thought to myself was like yeah usually uh, like um, so much of this stuff i would say that's what jeremy said and i believed him 
Yeah. Right. And so like, how far does this go? Whom among us actually knows, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it all goes back to Angus Mackay. That's, that's right. That's thing. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, a, I don't know, man. Like, I don't even know what I'm getting at other than like a mini existential crisis here. Like, what do yeah. I know? Who am me? What do I, what am I doing here? Yeah. Well, that's, it's, it's really weird again, because I'm in the middle of grading, grading things. And like, um, this, this semester has been great. Like my students, uh, I, I came up with some assignments that I didn't realize were going to be quite so self-serving, but they were really, hmm. really satisfying to read, um, like students' thoughts on the classes and like the notes they were taking and stuff. And it, it became clear that they were getting a lot more out of it than I was expecting. Yeah. And, um, but oftentimes at other places I have taught when, uh, students get more like, uh, desperate, I guess, for material to like write about, uh, there's this weird experience as a college professor where people will quote you in their papers at the end of the semester. Like, mm. that's a good idea. And uh, often the quote is, like, wildly out of context or, like, wrong or, mm. like, misses the point. And I often... One of the frustrating things about having a podcast is, like, listening back to what I say, I realize how often I start a thought and I don't resolve mm. it or I don't, like, finish that sentence yeah. or... I speak in the negative often and I sometimes will forget to like get to that point of like saying the, the negation to the point right, <laughs> like where I'm yep, just stating yep. a bunch of stuff leading up to a, and that's not how it happened, but I'll forget to say that that's the not how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, so, but anyway, but there's that realization that like, Oh, the stuff that you say, uh, yeah, everybody is that like, Everybody is that uh, child in the back of the car that it takes a long time to process things. And, like, you're in a different position when you read things. The uh, mm. I I hate, in theory and in practice, I, I hate theory, I guess. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, like, academics are really big into, like, some people uh, will have their whole career and they'll be very, like, prestigious professors and academics by only talking about theoretical things and not actually doing their... Um, I mean, they're doing their field, they're doing their field of study, but it really just feels like all they do is talk about Nietzsche or mm. Marx or or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and in general, I just find that stuff obnoxious and it like there's a whole type of like toxic masculinity, like theory bro uh, in, in academia that's no fun. Mm -hmm. So the one person, though, that I, that I kind of like who I think does history work as well, but the, the theory that he espouses to really resonates with me, which is this guy named Hayden White, who's a was or is a professor of history at UC Santa Cruz. Go banana slugs. Uh, great mascot choice there, banana slugs. Uh, they have um, a baseball team. I've seen that. That's how I'm aware of the banana slug thing. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a weird camp. My brother got his PhD there. It's like, really? an Ewok. it's like an Ewok village, the campus, except there's, um, the campus isn't an Ewok village. There's a bunch of hippies that live in an Ewok village that moves around campus when my brother was there. But it's also the only campus I've been to that had warning mountain lion activity. Whoa. <laughs> like on some of the signs. This anyway, is too uh, cool. <laughs> I'm yeah. trans. I'm, I know where I'm going to school. <laughs> yeah. Dang. Yeah. But, uh, but Hayden White, I think I'm getting his name right. Um, his, his big thing is that like every time you read a thing, it's different. Like, uh. and every, when you write a thing, it's, like when we write things, the way that people read them is going to be different every time. Because I love this. Like, yeah. There's this idea that when it's written, it's set in stone, but that's right. nonsense. Cause like you read it twice, you get something radically different from it. Right. And like people that are religious, I think can understand this intrinsically that like, yeah, you read, or maybe, maybe they don't, but like, I feel mm, like you should, if you're reading a philosophical yes, <laughs> or religious text, 
it means different things at different stages or seasons of your life, as as one of your favorite phrases that I right. really like. Um, and so Hayden White kind of acknowledges that for history, too. Like, you know, people are bringing their own experiences to the things that we read, so every time they, they do it, like, they're maybe not ready to, to get all that. Um, and so that's sort of it, too. Like, with my students, I know that sometimes something I'll have said will have really resonated with them and they'll be hung up on that for a while. Mm. Um, and they won't hear the the next 20 things I say. Hopefully the thing that they resonated with is a thing that I wasn't misspeaking. Of. It's one of the punchlines <laughs> and not one of the, neg- right. the negatives that you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. My, my stepdad is like incredibly, uh, detail oriented for mm. like listening and, uh, at least once a month, uh, I guess it hasn't happened as much lately, but for, for a while, like every time I saw him, he was telling me something emphatically and mm. saying, this is true. And I'd be like, I don't, I don't know that that's right. He's like, well, that's what you told me. I was like, what? <laughs> and he was like remembering some conversation that I had with him when I was a high schooler and declaring it fact. Like, I'm, I'm so <laughs> glad that you think of me so highly, but I was a child then and yeah. don't even remember. Please what jettison I all information that <laughs> yeah. from when yeah. I was a youth. Right. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's all to say that, Anybody who doesn't feel like they're a kid in the back of the car is fooling themselves mm-hmm. a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, um, So I think it's okay. I think it's okay to feel that, to have that feeling. I, I don't want it to sound like I'm being in any way like um, like speaking down about this album, but because like, I'm not. It's an awesome collection of really good music, really well played. But I do think... if I don't, I don't get to meet very many celebrities who have made art right Mm -hmm. and i don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable by saying that right um but what i'm trying to say is if in realizing that we're all people and if a lot of us feel that way it can uh be remarkable that someone is willing to put something out there right like an album you know and like to what degree do you have to either be so not self-aware that you actually think you are the grown-up in the front or just willing to live with the fact that you're a kid in the backseat and will be forever, but so are we all, so let's have a good time while we're on this ride kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe everybody isn't a kid in the backseat. But like, like, that's, there's some, because there's, I'm, I'm grasping at, at a thing that I don't really know how to articulate. I should, uh, I should be fair, too, that I've caught you, like, after midnight, possibly having pre-gamed with a little bit of whiskey or something and i'm i'm putting some maybe heavy questions to you here so i I pre-gamed with with caffeine instead but i have been uh as gaming with um (laughs) with some whiskey the uh man to to get we had joke i don't know if it's going to make it into the edit but uh we had joked about this being the most like insider baseball uh conversation ever and uh when it became clear that I'm about to hop in a car in a couple of days and drive to North Carolina and I'm going to get to see John Charles. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was telling my wife that I felt guilty that I was somehow cheating on you. Uh, <laughs> right. James, because like <laughs> you, me and John Charles have a chat that goes pretty much every day. And, uh, and so the way that I'm, uh, so then you and I are recording this podcast as a part, like for me, it's just like, well, I'll feel better about visiting there we John go. Charles. This is, you're, taking care, you're taking care yeah. of both your plural wives here. Thank yeah, you very yeah. much. Um, <laughs> but I'm drinking, I'm drinking Bros, which I, I made 
too big of a batch of it, so I'm, I'm drinking the like second bottle of Bros. The other one I'm going to drink with with John Charles. So that is uh, anyway, that, which is just whiskey and oatmeal, like liquor and honey. Um, right, that's the sickly sweet drink you guys were talking about a while ago, yeah. right? It's like it's like old school Drambuie, if if people are familiar with Drambuie. Anyway, um, <laughs> so oh many, no, I thought I was going to be able so to hold many the layers deep of things I have no reference for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, let I me just relate this be... to somebody else. You don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was so confident that I was going to be able to pull all this back and remember what you're asking me about, and I totally. Oh, we're it. all kids in the back seat of the car, and kids in the back seat. In of the order car. to be willing to put something out there like an album, you have to either recognize that and be okay with it, or be so confident, I guess. Mm. Yeah, but like, oh, but like, I don't shit. want to set that up in a weird way where I'm making you think like question putting like i'm so glad this album's out and i want more albums you know so i'm not trying to make you get inside your head about it i just i guess i guess maybe maybe i'll ramble for a minute and you'll remember (laughs) but i i I feel like i want to see all my friends doing their stuff like i i just i love that you know and i i maybe i'm imagining it but i feel like this collective like uh inhibition you know for so many of us that like it's not good enough. It's not ready. I, I could never do that. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. The perfect, you, you know, come on, let's yeah. do it. Let's just do it. There's so often like the, there's the whole thing of like the perfect being the enemy, of the good, uh, mm. is a constant yeah, thing. Yeah. I was really like the, I, I paid somebody money to like record in a studio and it kind of doomed me to never have an album for years because I realized that like my Zoom mic was as good as the studio, so yeah, I would always yeah. be able to get a better take, and that just didn't happen then for like a decade. And like for a while, um, when I worked for the Park Service, it was like it was sort of good years to work for the Park Service. <laughs> like the the park that I worked at had good like steady management, and like mm. the the weird corporation that ran the the shop was like well managed, and they were kind of pushing me to to record an album and. And then I would sell it in the gift shop. So I was like trying to get that done anyway. So I went to this recording studio to to do it. And I realized I could get just as good a recording on my own. So it it never happened. And, Mm. uh, but I was really empowered by like thinking about music historically. And the reality is that, you know, we have, it's, it's wonderful that we can all enjoy the best music available, you know, that it's, Mm -hmm. it's so accessible now. Like music is not, uh, it is no longer a thing that only aristocrats can like travel to to Italy to see, right? Like everybody right, can yeah. can experience this now. But in the 18th century, which is like this time period I'm sort of obsessed with, like you really you had to listen to a lot of crap. Mm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like everybody made music, and uh, like there was just a lot more room for people to be average or mediocre musicians, like uh, like working musicians, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so I don't know. I think I I. I remember back to my conversation with um jamie campbell who kind of recorded all of the dixon tunes on various small pipes oh yeah what a cool guy i love i love that interview and he's been so nice on social media and stuff what a cool guy he's super chill um also like a did it didn't come up in the interview at all but he's like a supreme court justice for canada oh like, i was under the impression he was a lawyer of some kind that makes yeah that well makes he sense is a lawyer yeah, yeah he's a supreme okay. court justice uh <laughs> wow it was sort of <laughs> i had this brief moment of like oh god uh and did some like frantic googling but like the supreme court in canada is a way less like oh do i need to be worried about this institution than, like yeah, yeah. if i had randomly uh stumbled onto 
a Supreme Court judge in the United States where you'd have to be like, oh. Anyway, the, uh, um, but he had this big pick of like, you know, make music, like put it out there, like, yeah, share it, you know, and the, like, Oyster Wise Rant was such a great, like, break the seal of it, I guess, mm. like, um, you know, I, I recorded, and also it was just, I became a better piper, like, the, the cool thing, the, the reality of, like, recording albums for me is that I'm, it's a way to make the podcast do something for me too. Like, sure. Yeah. Uh, like it's all for me. It's all very self-indulgent. This whole thing is a very self-indulgent practice. Right. But like, um, I want to be able to like hold on to these tunes and to put like the best of that year to me, the tunes that I don't want to lose in one spot. And, yeah. In some ways it's almost like a scrapbook too. You'd be able to look back yeah. and be like, look, this is what I did that year. You know? Yeah. I was, I was telling, I, I don't know. I feel weird about the, um, I don't know. I don't have any of this stuff on, any streaming service other than Bandcamp. Cause I love that you can listen on Bandcamp for free, like several times yeah. before you have to pay for it. Yeah. And, um, and I like that, you know, the artists actually get paid, like you don't get paid for streams but you get paid for, for purchases. And I was doing the math on like how many people listen to my stuff, uh, on Bandcamp versus what I would be paid out on Spotify. Mm. And it's like, yeah, I, I would have made, uh, I might have made 20 cents. <laughs> On, on Spotify, and it's like I'll just I'll just not I'll just not bother with that, uh, and just leave stuff on Bandcamp. But it's definitely not terribly accessible. Oh, man. well, I'm, I'm, I'm so a big upset. I'm a big fan of Bandcamp too, though. Like, what I'm amazed at how quickly my library on Bandcamp has grown over the last few years too. Yeah, I I think I'm over fifty. I'm over fifty albums, and like especially one of the the reasons I don't have money. Uh, <laughs> It's like, it's nice you have that over it's, 50 albums on <laughs> Yeah. Every time somebody buys my album, I immediately spend that money. On like, another album, probably. Yeah, because right? it's, it's turned into a cool thing. Like, it, it feels sort of like old school MySpace days of, like, following oh, yeah, people's yeah. music interests. But, like, like somebody buys my album, and then I'll, like, go and look at their collection and see what else they've got. And yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, totally. Uh, it's it's fun to see what they're what they're listening to. Yeah, that's um the... The old anxiety, I used to have such anxiety about um, having my music all be reside in a digital format somewhere. Mm. Um, like you I've, wanted that or didn't want that? It, it terrified me. I I, uh, I I used to make, and, and I've also, I was maybe a little obsessive about like preserving my music too. Like any album I purchased, I would then burn a copy of that disc so I could keep the originals somewhere safe. Oh, yeah. And I'd take the burned copy, you know, to my car or whatever I was going to do. That's... That's good scholarship, man. Like you, you got it. <laughs> like in terms of skills, uh, important lessons learned in grad school, it was save a hard copy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, tell you what, how about we grab a track real quick? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just absolutely infuriated with myself that I don't remember what I was going to build towards. Uh, we are, I we will, we'll find it somewhere yeah. in here, man. We're, we're yeah. just getting started. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Tell What's me the next track. We've we've hit a couple of Highland Highland Pipe tracks, so I wanted to hear some whistle. So track seven, the Fairy Hurlers. It's also a fun title. Um
more importantly, why does one hurl a fairy in the first place? Um, also, this melody does make me think of Cutting Bracken. Is that just me and my, my limited, uh, like, how much I've played, you know? And, like, Cutting Bracken's just a common tune, so anything that's, like, remotely like it, I'm going to think, oh, that sounds similar. But um, do you know of any concordance there, or is that just me, uh, again, grasping at hairs? <laughs> I'm so terrified right now. Uh, so, Fairy Hurlers is supposedly a concordance of the gravel walk like it's it's in, oh it's in that gotcha. but my brain has now got me wondering like what if what if the gravel walk is cutting bracken because like that was the big like whoopsie i mean this is a great example of what the podcast was like before i realized traditional tune archive existed mm. i recorded on oysterwise rant there are three different versions of cutting bracken um or maybe maybe two, but like I definitely recorded three over the course of that year without realizing they were all the same tune, um, oh. <laughs> because I wasn't using traditional tune archive yet. Yeah. Um, but now that makes me so. Yeah. Anyway, that's got me wondering. If it it's... might just be me. Yeah. Really. So don't 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 sweat it. But but tell me about the fairy hurlers. I mean, what a what an inventive title. Yeah. So I think it's about. Um, I think that the tune references a group of fairies hurling, like playing the the game of of hurling, which is um, I see. So it's not my, my first thought, yeah. a person picking up fairies and throwing them as far as they could, nor my second thought of fairies throwing up. It's, it's, I, don't, it, I feel like I've never heard a story of a fairy getting sick. I yeah. Wonder, well, that's, that's why I was curious. And I think the idea of like, so this is a fairy hurlers comes from, from O'Neill and uh, so like, who's like this Irish um, collector guy, right? Like he's a... He immigrated when he was pretty pretty young, mm. interesting cat, uh, but he winds up being like chief of police in Chicago, and uh, there's mm. all these sorts of semi-notorious stories about him. That's not true. There are There is this collective understanding that the police force of Chicago was made up of Irish musicians, basically, mm. that if O'Neill found a person that could play the whistle, the fiddle, or the inland pipe, said, oh, that's great, why don't you come work for me in no, the Chicago right. police force? <laughs> and it's sort of this weird... I talked about O'Neill in my um, in in one of my classes a semester, and it's just a weird thing because it's like he's the chief of he's a policeman in Chicago when all this really important stuff is going down in Chicago that doesn't really like it's not really a moment where we're like these are the good guys mm. um, for the police like it's like during the Haymarket riots where it seems like the police are involved with like planting a, a fake like a bomb or something. Uh, mm. Maybe, maybe not. Um, and supposedly O'Neill's like one of the not corrupt ones. Um, when like every, when the police force was incredibly corrupt, I'm like, wow, okay. Like one of the less just... corrupt ones, at least. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I don't know. Kind of one of those, there were worse people situations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the fairy herders is, it was clearly like, there's all these really cool concordances with gravel walk that are like, is it really though? Like I can, a lot of, one of the downsides of traditional tune archive is like sort of like how Matt's like, I don't think that's the same tune. Like I oftentimes I'm like, I don't think that's the same tune. Mm. Um, and Oh, I can just see this rat climbing on the outside of my window. Like oh. it's outside. So I should be happy about this. Still, but, you don't want it that uh, close to the house. I should just knock on the window, right? Yeah. Like, say, say something to it. <laughs> he does not care. James. This. <laughs> he, couldn't, he couldn't give two hoots about me banging on this window with a low G whistle. 
that's uh that's one of them uh, scur- uh, uh Clooney the scourges uh one of his um advanced scouts they're they're looking for their next their next conquest oh, there you gotta look out I guess it's warm here now he's probably not trying to come inside but oh I'm yeah. not happy about leaving my house for a month while there's rats on the window yeah that's not a pleasant experience right there uh, that's okay. uh I didn't I kind of I guess I would have thought no that totally makes sense you know I would have thought for a minute that you'd have been cold enough up there during the winters to just kind of drive a lot of rodents into. Well, they drive in, you know, like drives them I'm into the house, huh? Yeah, but we didn't have any didn't have any problems here uh, that I know of. When when my the dad, place, oh, go ahead. The place we lived in in Iowa had, uh, you know, there's tons of mice and rats in the basement, mm-hmm. but we didn't really notice how bad it was until, like, somehow nothing looks bad until like my stepfather or father-in-law's around oh and like, of course oh, hey. so like my, <laughs> my father suddenly all like, the sprinkler heads are broken and <laughs> right, you're not right. you're no upkeep whatsoever on what yeah. you're supposed to be doing yeah but like as as we were getting ready for for the baby to to hatch or whatever like my father-in-law came up to you know help nest the house or whatever and went downstairs to use the basement bathroom and there was just a rat sitting <laughs> like just standing on top of the like table i had What's that up? was up on stilts <laughs> to keep food out of the way of the floor and like i was like oh and so you're just like jeremy i don't want to i don't want to don't tell laurel or lynn but <laughs> you got a rat in the basement it was like oh my god <laughs> uh. it's yeah that, that is the when it would happen though right yeah. it's like just right when the, the, the man who, who you're supposed to impress by how well you're taking care of his daughter and his future <laughs> yeah. grandchild, right? right. He's there. Just right. To... <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm sure that Francis O'Neill had a lot of issues with rats. Um, and maybe he was the rat because, you know, supposedly he's one of the not corrupt police ah, in, yes, in right. Chicago. Look at this, tying um, it all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Fairy Hurlers is a wicked good tune. And I think it's... Like some of the these pipers, man, the the early twentieth and late nineteenth century um, pipers, uh, it's just wild. Like I kind of, I sort of don't. There's part of me that doesn't like it. Like it's too much. There's too much going on. Like mm. the, the Patsy Tui of it all and the uh, Tom Ennis. Like their their playing is so over the top. Um, but I think so. The Fairy Hurlers or Walsh's favorite is this. So O'Neill got this from Joseph Tammany. And John Kelly, and I think those might be Irish pipers, but this is a setting that like I absolutely could not play on pipes. Like it is mm. too is too much. Like mm. it's just way it's way too much. Um, but it, it works really well on whistle. Yeah. Hey, and O'Neill has a little story about it. Uh, yeah. According to legendary lore, the fairies or good people enjoyed the same activities and pastimes, especially hurling and dancing, as they did before being called to another life. Many a tale told of their kidnapping a competent piper when necessary to entertain them at their festivities mm. and the subterranean quarters they are said to occupy within the ancient rafts or forts so numerous all over Ireland. Um, anyway, yeah, it's, uh, so yeah, fairy hurlers is just about a group of fairies hurling, uh, playing, playing the game. When, when it comes to play and whistle, I, I think maybe part of this is because of my, my background with highly, um, highly prescriptive bagpiping etiquette. Yeah. I've, I've never felt fully confident that I'm playing whistle right. Mm. Are you aware of any kind of etiquette around like, you know, like, using your tongue for stops, you know, like yeah. scoops and, and swoops. Is it all loosey goosey or is there, is there a school of whistlers who is similar to the, the highly regimented competition pipers that, you know, 
that like I I'm am I doing heresy without knowing it when I when I just tootle around on my whistle? No, I think uh, I mean probably right. Like people will be offended by anything. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of the things that I have absolutely loved is. Uh, there's a really supportive Facebook group of, of tin whistle and penny whistle players that maybe you're a part of. Um, but like somebody was asking this question and I, I think it was Ben Walker, who's a, a whistler and a, uh, Illin pipe player. And he's got some like tutorials and stuff online. I think he's called the whistleblower or something, but I think it was he that made the comment, uh, about tonguing your note. Like, yeah, no, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't tongue the notes when you're playing a whistle. You should instead do grace notes and, and fingering. Um, but and and like but everybody does it like all the all the best whistle players tongue the notes too mm, yeah. <laughs> so it's all like a yeah in theory we're not tonguing the notes but like everybody tongues the notes like sometimes it sounds so cool it's like well why would this be a bad thing you know yeah it's not a bad thing i i, I think it can be used very uh very good i'm gonna just how bad is this gonna be that sounds really good okay i think it sounds great some tonguing in there like that was so cool man it's so good yeah that's a uh that's a setting from i think margaret berry uh of johnny cope and it's been like my favorite thing to play on whistle forever and it's like really influenced my it, it influenced my illin pipe playing for for a while mm. but um but yeah it's a there's this really cool folk collection of recordings of um of people playing traditional irish music and it's just like these kind of recorded in the wild things, but somebody mm. did it as a project with like annotated and I lost it for years. Like I had it recorded and then I like I found the website, I don't know, 2005 or something like in the early, <laughs> in hindsight, it feels like the early days, of the internet where yeah. like everybody had individual websites rather than there being a, a single place for the stuff. Right. Um, and I found it again, like a couple of years ago after years of failing to, to relocate it. But, um, I might see if I can find it again. But but anyway, Margaret Berry does like is just a stellar whistle player from like late twentieth century Ireland and um and she I think she did some I, it's a, that same thing. Does a lot of embellishments but also tongue the note, you know. Mm-hmm. Um anyway, I, I'm gonna Google it right now. What whistle was that that you were just playing too? Is that your newer one? Uh no, this is uh B flat generation whistle. Uh. Um which, you know, is is whatever <laughs> she recorded this was transcribed in 2002 i've got it i can we can put it in the show notes if you want but uh, yeah it's uh it's so good uh yeah i guess it's not I guess it's not totally... Sorry for that. Uh, no, no, that's <laughs> putting, great, yeah. Up. Um, I guess she doesn't do a ton of tonguing, but um, anyway, it's a cool website. God, you look at this website, though, uh, and it is it is so... Uh, it is it is what the internet looked like. A little blast from the, the past 90s. there. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> it's wild. Uh, anyway. we, we got to have some, some like, uh, sort of museum pieces like that. We can't have every website updating. It's... We yeah, remember where we came from. <laughs> our roots. Get yeah. back to our roots. Um, so then, whistles. Let's hop to some illin pipes. What about? Yeah. Um, you've got this one that's a set. I, I was a. I I know that you're probably going for an accuracy thing here, 
you know? But track eight is Jackson's Snack, Jackson's Dream, Jackson's Rattle, Jackson Over the Water. And there is a part of me that's like, what about Jackson's Over the Water, right? Like like a bunch of possessive apostrophe S's and then a, and then a contraction apostrophe S's. Jackson's so cool. Um, like, in an era of uh, of being crappy to people, be a Walker Jackson, like, is, is sort of what I feel like. But, so Jackson is a gentleman piper, and, like, gentleman pipers are a weird kettle of fish in, um, in like, Irish history. Because, like, there's, there's this romanticism about the gentleman piper of, like, these Victorian-looking guys in, like, fancy suits and top hats that are going around playing on pipes. But, oh. um... But, like, to be a gentleman piper, it's weird that there's, like, this mythos around it, but I feel like it's disconnected from, like, some key parts of Irish history that are going on where, like, yeah, gentlemen, a gentleman in Ireland for a big chunk of Ireland's history, especially when gentlemen pipers were around, were Protestants in a pretty, like, apartheid-y, um, mm. oppressive system for the majority of Irish people who are Catholics. And, like, so Walker Jackson is a landowner, which means, like, I'm pretty sure he's a Protestant. Um, but he was really involved in, like, Irish music stuff, and... 
it, it, um, I, I please, don't lose that thread. It just it makes me laugh a little bit to think like so much of my my entire education about what it means to be Irish is just the show Dairy Girls. Oh yeah, and there yeah. is a scene where they're trying to get the Protestants and Catholics to get together, yeah. and they're like brainstorming what's different about Protestants and Catholics, and one of right. the kids is like, "Protestants have more money," <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and like the nun looks at the Protestant lady, she's like, "Is that true?" And she's like, "Yeah, I think it is." <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that tracks. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like Walker Jackson was like he was coming to, he writes all these beautiful tunes. Like he's uh, arguably one of the more prolific, uh, certainly one of the most prolific Illin pipe like tune writers mm. uh, of the 18th century uh, and uniquely I think too like he published his tunes so there's uh, so I, I wind up revisiting uh, Jackson pretty regularly he published a, a collection of tunes in 1774 called Jackson Celebrated Irish Tunes um, and then eventually another guy that I, I play quite a lot Smollett Holden got a hold of, of Jackson's tunes and kind of republished them it is clear to me that James Aird who is like my like, he's really a go-to source for 18th century Scottish music. It's clear Aird had a copy of, of Jackson stuff and just copied it into mm. his books at various times. Um, by the way, Walker Jackson uh, is Ellen Piper, Gentleman Piper, owns, you know, Castle, um, and but he's really, he's like in, involved in Irish music stuff and Irish language stuff in, mm. in a time period where there weren't really a ton of Protestants doing that, that stuff. And like, the 1780s and 90s and, and 70s, I guess, like, to a certain extent, Jackson is a product of his time where there was this um, this moment where it seemed like Ireland was going to go better, like, where England wasn't going to be so horribly tyrannical against mm. the Irish. Like, there, there, were, like, there was a movement to kind of soften more of the, like the anti-Catholic laws and stuff that were on the books. And, um, that all kind of evaporates during the, the 1798 rebellion. Like there's an attempt for the Irish to get like Irish national identity, you know, to, to create an Ireland, uh, that's not colonized by England in 1798. Right. And after that, it all goes very downhill and leads to, you know, the genocide that is the potato famine, right. uh, in the kind of weird way that get, that gets discussed. Um, but yeah, so Walker Jackson, cool cat, writes a lot of really cool tunes and like also tunes that make it all over the place. And I don't know if this is because there wasn't a ton of music being published in Ireland at the time that um, people wanted to include Irish stuff and they went to Jackson, but like um, like Jackson's Morning Brush, which is the other set uh, and, and the other track, like that's in everything. Like there's, it's really hard to find some publisher in England that throughout their, like, don't do some version of Jackson's Morning Brush. Like, it was just clearly one of the more popular tunes around. Hmm. And so all of these tunes, like, I actually thought about just calling, I wanted to call the, the album Jackson's Bannocks of Barley Meal because <laughs> there were so many Jackson yeah. tunes on it. Right. Um, but I I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't do that because uh, as much as I think there might be a setting of it, I think there isn't one, actually. There isn't anything that Jackson wrote. But it's sort of a joke, too. Like, there's another Ellen Piper named Jackson who wrote tunes, hmm. uh, like, within a hundred years of Walker Jackson uh, dying. So it means that there's this huge amount of tunes that are attributed to Jackson uh, or called Jackson's blank right. uh, that we just don't really, we don't really know. Like it's like, which Jackson? I think it's something like 300 tunes are attributed to Jackson mm. of which like probably a hundred are, are actually Walker Jackson. Um, but often like you just see tunes that are just like, Oh yeah, Jackson did that. Like, 
I've seen uh, Irish washerwoman has been like attributed to Jackson mm. in some places. I've never seen him put his name on it, but the the one collection of teams he put out is is pretty small to the point where I've done like it's kind of a short episode. I, I've thought about doing it every year to like oh let's just record all the Jackson tunes this year and see how my piping is doing. Um, but yeah, these are so those are that's what these are. Uh, so and this is mostly from. So this set, Jackson's Snack, that's the one we're talking about, right? Jackson's yeah, that's snack, right, Jackson's Snack. Jackson's Rattle, Jackson Over the Water. Yeah. So um, Jackson's Snack comes from Canon Goodman, who's like, speaking of the famine, like Goodman is another Protestant um, who is an amazing Ellen Piper and, and like collector of music. And in the Goodman collection, he has a, a section that is just called, like, they're just Jackson tunes. And that's where Jackson's Snack comes from. Um and then Jackson Stream over the and Jackson over the water both come from Jackson himself from his celebrated mm. Irish tunes, uh, and then Jackson's rattle comes from another dude who's just super interesting to me. John Murphy is an Irish piper that lived in I think Glasgow or maybe Edinburgh, but I'm pretty sure it's Glasgow, um, and he published a collection of tunes. Um, a collection of Irish airs and jigs with variations, and they're just wild. Like John Murphy's tunes are nuts <laughs> like they're all really cool sounding and not at all what i would expect of the music so um which i think like the final track of the of the album miss boswell's jig comes from from john murphy too of just like that's not that's not a tuning <laughs> like that, mm. that's not in a key signature or whatever that i would <laughs> be expecting that's not do you, signature key whatever do you get the impression that like these these gentlemen piper characters like the gentleman part of it is what meant they had the time and resources to come up with a lot of tunes <laughs> you I know? Don't know like i think i i don't know i mean i i could be wrong just this is sort of just a me i haven't done any detailed research into irish history apart from looking at music and apart from listening to a good amount of the irish history podcast which is um pretty cool everybody should check it out but um so i don't know i could be wrong like this uh this my assumption about gentlemen pipers definitely falls into the category of thinking rather than researching. Yeah, one of my but favorite like, phrases. Yes. Yeah, but like, there's just not the the reality of how the system worked in Ireland. Like, you couldn't own a big estate if you were Catholic for like a big chunk of that history of colonialism. Like, this yeah. is not how it worked. So if Walker Jackson has a castle that he calls his turret or whatever, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that dude's Catholic. Um, mm. And I think I think that tracks with other things I've other things I've read about him too. But um, it's like, yeah. But it, it it's it feels maybe this is my maybe it's just my own ignorance, right? Because like I only have a very vague sense of anything that's going on uh, pre nineteen eighties, really. Uh, even there, it's a little hazy. But um, like it seems to me like I can understand the popularity in England of the romanticized idea of a Highlander, right? Taking hold at some point. But it it seems, it feels almost surprising to me that in this time period, an Irish person would be enthusiastic about Irish stuff. And I don't, you know, like it's sad that it's that way, if it is that way at all, but it just was this fashionable you know in, in a way that somebody of means would wouldn't would, would somebody of means not be like i don't know into opera in italy you know instead of looking at their home turf for like i love these traditional tunes kind of thing you know what i mean yeah well i mean there's something to be i mean 
that's one of the strengths of Illin pipes though too right it's like you can play all that stuff yeah that's um, true he could do the contemporary tunes on those yeah. pipes. Huh? yeah um and it seems like a lot of um like educated enough to like collect sheet music anyway um working pipers did that like mm-hmm. played a mixture of stage music and traditional music mm-hmm. there's a I there's I often complain about the several like half finished episodes that I have, but there's a I have this manuscript that I'm not supposed to have oh. from a museum and library that hasn't responded to my inquiries about whether I can do anything with it or not. But it sort of feels like the holy grail of yeah. what an Irish piper's repertoire would be in uh. the 18th and early 19th century. Um, and I, I at some point I'm just gonna like to hell with it and do it like the but it's it was really interesting to look through this collection of like a a several generation family of of pipers and like look at the stuff that they had in their tune book of stuff they had collected because it was a mixture tell me that you found this in a cave on the island of sky or something (laughs) no it's like it's like sort of cooler than that like it's not it's not cooler than that obviously (laughs) uh but like it's a it's a comp somebody did a, a a good scan of this collection that was donated to uh, um, uh archive in ireland mm. and uh and somehow a very like a, a musical hero of mine got a hold of it and was like i don't know how i got this but here this is what you might be you might be interested in this but don't do anything with it until you get permission from the like from the archive wow. or the library of ireland mm. and so i emailed them in the middle of the pandemic and they didn't respond and uh I need to, I should just do it again. There's got to be some kind of statute of limitations or something thing here where it's like, <laughs> right, I gave him, right. I gave him 45 days. Yeah. I can do what I want now. You know? Yeah. It's like, there's sort of this, there's this weird vibe of like, oh, I put so much work into these podcasts and this stuff. Like I want more people to listen to it, but there's also part of me that's like, you know, maybe it's okay if there's only <laughs> fly like, under the radar <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Like it's better that not a lot of people listen so I can just do what I want um, yeah. and talk about it. Anyway, it's a, it's a really interesting thing. I think it's called the O'Neill manuscript, but it's like, it, there's a cool mixture of very traditional Irish music. There's also several passages where it's clear they were just copying out O'Farrell's pocketbook companion. Mm. And then there's just broadsides that they bought in the streets that like somebody was selling printed music from various plays and operas um and like that was in their tune collection so Mm -hmm. like that kind of popular music is a thing and again in terms of like not reinventing the wheel uh my buddy dave rollins who does just some amazing stuff with uh john swain's low d pipes um but dave rollins like that's kind of his big kettle of fish is that he thinks a lot of our piping stuff from the 18th century like all these tunes that we see being popular traditional music you know where people say well it's traditional Mm -hmm. um without actually investigating what that means or where it comes from like he thinks that most of that is actually stage music that we're just that we've just kind of erased that history um and i think it's one of these things that's kind of hard to maybe he doesn't say most but he's got several interesting like well here's the history of this tune and it turns out it's from some opera or whatever um but like they're influencing one another right like alan ramsey uh does his like um the gentle shepherd which is a, a scottish opera that is trying to break the mold of like, well, operas don't have to be Italian. Like we can use Scottish folk music in mm-hmm. order to have an opera as well. And that's what like the beggars opera is the same thing in England, right? Like a couple of years later. Um, so it's like, it's sort of a, a chicken and egg thing. Right. That's so constantly. I, I love those cycling. kinds of questions though, where it's like you have an assumption and then you realize this thing that makes you go, Oh, my assumption was incorrect. And then you think now I have the answer. But then there's another thing that makes you go, oh, wait, 
I haven't yeah. gone deep enough yet. And, you know, right. seven, eight right. steps down the line, you finally realize, like, I'm just going to have to live with the fact that I will never know for certain and just yeah. be delighted by the mystery, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's it, right? Like, the more we know, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. all That's all that actually happens. Like, But that's, it's it's so fun, right? It's like, I don't know, man. I, I, I've got to imagine that a person who's so uh, enthusiastic about history, reenacting and stuff like that, surely you fantasize about time travel right i mean we already talked about if only yeah. you could intersect with with george mckay right um some sometimes one of my favorite like when i'm just driving like uh imagination games to play <laughs> we all have those right yeah <laughs> am i just all exposing of us Americans, how crazy like, i am <laughs> everybody that has to drive i was uh yeah if you have to drive like an hour or more regularly to get to whatever like right yeah, yeah. it's not just me right i i, I just I, I, I'm I, sorry, I'm, I'm cutting you ahead. off, but no. I, the uh, I, I just had the awkward. Uh, I got sucked into watching this weird uh, how to behave in England uh, video mm-hmm. uh, from from World War II for American troops, and there's some part where they're talking about the size of Britain, and it just reminded me of conversations I have had with Scottish people pretty regularly about like just how far is a drive for uh, things, you yeah. know, like that, like yeah, it's it's 900 miles from the north to south of <laughs> yeah. That island, like what? Yeah. I'm about to drive. I'm about to drive like nine hours. Like no, man. Like do, do, I'm about to drive from North Dakota to North Carolina. Like I can't even imagine distance being that short. Yeah, anyway. it's like I, I am. I've done drives longer than that in in like you know without sleeping, like in one sitting. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? Like right, right. come on, yeah. but. Uh, Anyway, one, so you were talking about driving. I, I just it's it's just a silly thing, but like I do enjoy imagining if I had a person from another time period, fictional or otherwise, how would I describe what the world is that we're driving through, you know? Mm. And just like um the the whole every there are a lot of things about your work with your podcast and the music that to me feel in such a fun way like a time machine in in this way that like i can kind of do that in reverse in my own so so i don't know this is maybe just me this is things i imagine right but instead of imagining when i'm driving that i've got somebody from a different time period i'm trying to explain my world to them and i turn on music on the radio or something like that right i can almost close my eyes and be like what if i was the one in the carriage right sitting across from this piper and they were playing this tune for me you know what i mean it's a it's it's as close as i can get to time travel in a lot of ways and i think it's fun it's a, it's also like in terms of the knowing the more you know the more you know you don't know thing mm. like i think my relationship with time travel fantasies is sort of that way too like mm. when i was a kid and really into reenacting oh man i just wanted to time travel and kind of the the best uh the best experienced or interpretation of like how accurate you should be in terms of because you can get so detail oriented about how correct your kit is going to be right for, oh like, sure doing for the reenactment yeah um and the best excuse i had like the best interpretation of it that i heard from a reenactor that i really respected um uh, but wasn't going like insanely detailed was like i just want to be able if i was time traveling i'd want to be able to pass like that's my mm-hmm. goal i wouldn't want to i won't want to make the ancestors look at me like what the hell is that like that would be the goal so i don't, uh-huh. I don't need to have like every thread whatever yeah. but i want to be able to blend in or whatever um so like there's that, but but then the more history I understand, the more it's like 
from a, a fantasy of being able to time travel to like, oh, I don't think I'd like that for all That's part. Fun. Like, there's the original like, oh, I'd probably die of a disease immediately. Right, or I'd make yeah. all of them die of a disease yeah. or whatever. And then there's the... For a while, I was like, I'd like to time travel, but I also like mangoes too much to not want to live in the globalized world that I live in right now. Right. Uh, my, yeah. I think I've mentioned too before that my wife was a history major, and yeah. she's a fun one to talk to about this 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 conversation we have sometimes, where it's like, if you could go, in, if you could live in any time period other than this one, when and where would you choose? You know, and yeah. it's like there's the adventurous, imaginative side that would pick adventurous things, but the older we get, the more practical we are, and it's like. <laughs> There aren't very many other options that we'd actually want. And and I actually, I wanted to ask you that. I have it in my notes further down, but Jeremy, I've heard before that you shouldn't meet your heroes. Yeah. You know, do you feel like you have that thing, but with time periods, since you're a historian and you learn more about these romanticized times that you maybe shouldn't meet your mm, fantasy time period because if you actually met it, maybe you would be less enchanted. <laughs> it would smell way worse than enchanted. <laughs> yeah, for one thing, um, yeah. Yeah, so this is, so I I don't remember exactly the thread that I was building towards before, but I I don't remember how I was going to do it. I don't remember how it tied into talking about Bros and John Charles at all, um, but I remember what it was. Um, oh, okay, perfect. And it ties into this, it, it ties into that question pretty good. Uh, and it was, so like, in terms of this, this question of like, are we all just people in the backseat? Like, is there no real artists or whatever? Mm. Like... I think you're right that there's a there's a lack of self awareness that you need in order to do it, and some people like uh, are really unself aware or are very like have a healthy like there's a there's a certain level where like maybe it's just that you and I are unhealthy really like that's the, that's the reality <laughs> right is that, yeah. <laughs> that there's a lot of us that are a little too self criticizing and too much in our own heads and mm. we should embrace our skills um more than than we do or our, our you know various outlooks on life but but then there are definitely people that are like they're the one they're doing the thing like they are defining mm -hmm. the era and it's it's been really hard like so much of the way we talk about history as like professionals we've moved away from doing like the great man histories because it's yeah like it's wrong like it's it's often wrong there are so so often like it's small level people like the the masses moving and shaking things rather than individuals. And mm -hmm. it's, and by only focusing on the great white men of history, you're kind of missing out on the stuff. And I've had a really hard time with that since um, the invasion of Ukraine of like, mm. this is a Putin thing. Like it's really feels like a Putin thing. And maybe like, I'm sh there is more nuance going on there than just saying it's a Putin thing. But at the end of the day, uh, I have a hard time believing that this, this like many years like lasting war or i guess not many years but this year i guess we're like over a year in yeah we're over a year now who knows yeah. how long yeah um it's hard to imagine that, that would really exist without putin um yeah and uh, so it's sort of like oh, okay well maybe there's something to this and there's also something to what you're saying i'm not sure if that's going to make it into the uh the edit either but like the Man, it, i'm just gonna leave it all i'm throwing it all out there <laughs> yeah it's just all in but like the nietzsche thing right of like yeah, yeah like the like here's a guy who said so many things that are sort of like uh, how can how can a person that describes to think feel that way and yeah. like i i was shocked in, in my head the way the media uh like kind of the news cycle these days uh, it's really weird for like being a historian and having to be really concerned about what the the new outrage thing is going to be because like mm. like being a college history professor is suddenly a uh, like I'm I'm a enemy of the state somehow, yeah, like or, this or high, it's a, it's a um, high risk job all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. yeah and like 
And I just, the way that it's talked about, I I was, well, maybe these high school students are super educated, like coming into college and know all these things already. Mm. Like I got literal gasps from students this year when I told them that like Thomas Jefferson said some racist things about people like that, Mm. like they had never, I don't think they knew that he had many children who he uh, in like kept enslaved with yeah. another slave, Sally Hemings. Like I don't think they knew that. I don't think they they certainly didn't know the the language that he used and the words that he wrote and like the his his manual for farming or the lives of Virginia. That's like this template for like how how you know how white supremacy works basically. Mm. Of like um, like that was all news to them. Like it wasn't mm. uh, it wasn't a thing. And it's it's hard to figure out how to like how to deal with a person like Jefferson. Cause like, yeah, he's a victim of his time and that, uh, the, the argument being made often for like why he enslaved his kids is like, well, if he had freed his children, the laws in Virginia would have meant that those children had to leave the state. So he'd never be able to be around his kids anymore. So mm-hmm. you can, you can read into it that like, well, Jefferson loved his children and he didn't want to free them Wanted because them then close. he wouldn't get to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, yeah, but he wrote the laws. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's a lawmaker. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really hard to give these people passes that are, like, the philosophers that are defining the era. Yeah. Like, like Voltaire said some horribly anti-Semitic stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to give him a pass for that because he's a professional thinker, you know? Like, right. Like, how can you be a product of your time if you're the person defining the time? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, mm-hmm. uh, like, like, that doesn't really work. So, yeah, I don't know. Meeting your historical heroes. Like, I don't know that the... Um, yeah, everybody, everybody is so much more nuanced than we give them credit for in like the, the fancy film version of their lives. Right. The, yeah. Um, uh, so I don't know. Yeah. Don't, don't your, your, your own historical eras and the, the heroes of that era are, are tricky. And <laughs> tricky it, kettles of fish. I wonder like, Hmm. It feels a little bit like this makes it, um, like there, there's, there have been some ex- some examples in my life where like there have been artists who have made things that I really really like their things. This is probably a uh, you know a very tired uh, conversation, right? Uh, whether you can continue to like a person's art even when the artist is you know shown to be uh, distasteful or or even yeah. or even terrible, you know. Right. Um, and I, I'm not saying that I have the answer to that, right? But it's like, is it fair? Fair is that the word? Is it fair to someone like like Jefferson, for example, um, to have an expectation that they would be anything better than the a normal person? And just a normal right. person given more money and power means all the normal person things get bigger. Maybe. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe yeah, I mean, I, I, it, but maybe I rebel against too. the idea of normal person, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I should say, like, I don't know. Jefferson is complicated. Um, one of the most powerful things that I saw, I visited Monticello a couple years ago, and like, it's really hard to argue with. I mean, part of the frustration with Jefferson is because he, he does seem so brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. Like, seems so brilliant. And like, the Declaration of Independence and like the words that he wrote wound up being used all over the stinking world. And as much as Jefferson clearly had like very like set up the language that racism in the United States would be dependent on for a generation or two. Mm. Um, 
every revolution in the Americas, except for ours, ended slavery, and every revolution in the Americas used Thomas Jefferson's words. Like, so now how do we weigh those two things against, and, and <laughs> right. how does it come out, you know? Are the scales, so, is, it, is that even, Steven? Does that mean it's yeah, fine? Yeah, does he get you know? into the good place? Like, <laughs> right, where, does exactly. his scale, yeah. <laughs> where does his scale end? Yeah, does his, is his heart heavier than that feather or whatever the system yeah. it is? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Like, I think, I mean, to me, I don't know that we have to put things on good or bad. You sure, know, I, I think sure. it's, inter- I think it's worthy. I, I think there's something helpful in realizing that the people that we put on pedestals are also problematic and we don't have to be so afraid to make things and to say things and to be wrong about it. Like, yeah. Um, make your make your art, even if you know you're going to realize that Inverian District is going to publish it <laughs> later that year, That's and you're right. going to feel real stupid for including it in your album. Um, well, like, and John Charles was recently telling us about how he was trying to play around with uh, live tuning a drone. Yeah, and then Breacha did it like so well. <laughs> you know, on right. her recent album, you know, and uh, I I would like I don't think based on our conversation I don't think that made him go well then I'm never going to try it again because I can't do it perfectly right it's like yeah I, still do weird, it still do it you know yeah the the weird limits to I can't do a thing if it's been done before like well that's silly yeah <laughs> like, yeah let's do the things but it is a it is a trap that I know for, personally I certainly had used to be very deep in it you know it was like well if i can't find a brand new thing that no one else has ever done then i can't do a thing that's the only kind of thing i can do it's been it's been weird the i go in fits and starts of listening to other people's music and Mm. the the time that we're recording this it's like what carry them along is like that's the hot thing man that's the hot thing on the street right now for sure but there's like there's a bunch of it's just weird, like how much um, there's been so much good music lately that it's it's kind of hard. It's hard for me to to work on the next album because it's like, well, I don't know if I'm gonna, you know, <laughs> am you, I gonna put anything out that's as good as any of that? Like, yeah, maybe wait till stuff cools down a little, right, and make <laughs> right, the market yeah. a little hungrier. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, it's it's tricky. Like it's it's weird. The nice thing about trad music is you're not competing with the Beatles, but uh, yeah, uh, you kind of are though. <laughs> Like we, have, we have our own Beatles. Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah. So how how long can I keep you here, Jeremy? Are you only halfway through grading papers? I have, I'm, I'm down to one class left, and it's like my, my, dude, I taught Chinese history this semester, and I was dreading it, and it was so much fun. Um, was it? Yeah, it was so good. Like how much, how much, how much of a generalist do you have to have been in the in terms of history to get to? you know, to where you have the position where the, like, are you encountering any course material? That's things that you haven't studied before. So it's totally new to you. Yeah. All of it. Like all of it. All of it. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not true. So the, the classes sort of, I, I, I said, yes, like the, the academic job market is fraught. And, uh, I, I didn't realize kind of what I had the power to say yes or no to. And uh-huh. I got hired into a department that had been uh, like bleeding off faculty members for mm-hmm. over a decade. So, um, so anyway, I just kind of in my conversation with the interview, I mentioned that I had taught Chinese history a couple times as a TA and world history once. And like I basically listed all the things that I had taught as a graduate student. And that quickly became what all of my teaching assignments so were. They took careful notes and gave you yeah, exactly those yeah. assignments. <laughs> and I just didn't, I didn't think, you know, I, and I'm glad I did it. I'm really glad I did it. Yeah. Um, every time I taught Chinese history at Iowa, it was under somebody whose specialty was Chinese history, and I was just leading the discussion sections. Mm. And also at Iowa, it was really interesting because they were all, like, most of my students were Chinese nationals. Um, oh. 
So they were kind of looking for an easy A slash. Some of them were looking for an uncensored view of, or at least an American perspective on, on Chinese history. Yeah. But mostly they were looking for easy A's. But the students that were there looking, <laughs> I had one student that literally like wrote about, I'm looking forward to arguing with my uncle about, <laughs> about this material. <laughs> like, like, all right. Um, uh, anyway, so. Uncles are uh, the same wherever you go, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your foil for arguing about history and politics. <laughs> yeah. But I felt, so I was really nervous about teaching it here because I thought I would have a bunch of like students that were interested in Chinese history uh, explicitly. Like that's all they wanted to do. But it was uh, all, yeah. it was all, just all a bunch of very dedicated history majors that like kind of needed a 300 level course on anything. And mm. that was one of the few that was offered and they, we had a hoot, we had just had a hoot. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I feel like I'm this first year that we're coming towards the close of, there was a lot of, I was reading a thing sometimes literally five minutes before teaching, um, wow, coming up with a lecture about it for, especially for like modern American history isn't my specialty. And I had to teach that class a couple of times and world history isn't my specialty. And I had to teach that twice. And then the Chinese history is not really my specialty, but like all those classes I had, you know, taught once a week, but never three times a week, you know, like mm-hmm. once a week while somebody else is doing two times a week context is really easy. Um, providing that context was sort of, sort of hard. Mm. So the, your, your specialty though, is it language specifically or is it culture in general? What, what all, what's your specialty in, in a, in a, uh, you know, declared format at the university? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of why I became a generalist is my specialty is so niche. And like any time you get to somebody who's like got a PhD in a thing, the thing they know a lot about is really narrow, (laughs) but, (laughs) but mine is maybe particularly narrow uh, of like, yeah, I'm, I feel like I uh, sort of feel comfortable saying that I'm an expert in like two spirit gender and sexuality history of the Ojibwe of like the Red River and Great Lakes from the 1760s to the 1820s. Um, so there's not a lot of big survey classes. It's like, as you talk, I'm seeing like just people disappear, you know, like it's just narrow. Oh, there's one person left. Oh, and it's you. It's you. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, so it's pretty niche. So that meant that, uh, when I needed to like come up with work, you're like, okay, we're going to have you teach Japanese history. This yeah. Semester. A lot of other stuff. <laughs> like, <to the laughs> yeah. I don't know if we can fill a lecture hall five days a week for you here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well that, that's pretty cool, man. Well, well, um, <laughs> but anyway, so you can keep me forever. I've got, I've, I can you keep know, you forever. Well, yeah. good. Cause I do yeah. want to hear some more tunes from the album i also was curious I, I i appreciated in the show notes you listed all the instruments that you used oh, okay and um it's fun looking down the list that like the second to last one so it's like you got the is it boisfort david boisfort drones and regulators yeah boisvert boisvert um, then you've got your your kohler and quinn ill enchanter your chieftain lodi whistle your john swain lowland pipes your kintail highland pipes your 1960s hardy highland pipes your denny hall scottish small pipes my <laughs> wife's busted up childhood folk harp <laughs> What? <laughs> what's yeah. going, what's up? Tell me about the busted up childhood folk harp. Man, my my wife like she she wanted to play a harp as a kid. My my wife was super into fairies as a kid. Like oh, and, this is okay. So you two were destined to to oh, meet <laughs> in so many ways. But uh, I, I don't know if that's where the harp thing came in. But as a kid, she wanted to play the harp, and she had to like negotiate with her parents to to learn a conventional instrument first i guess so she took piano lessons for two years uh, or an maybe experience one year. many of us are yeah. very familiar with <laughs> yeah. yeah very relatable 
So she like she took piano lessons for a year or two, mm. and then earned the right to get a harp, and then she got a, a folk harp, and uh, hated it. Like, she's like, no, pianos are way easier. So I'll do that. And for the whole time that I've that we've been together, she's had this harp in her closet in her childhood home or like wherever her parents are living. And I kept thinking, like, because I've always known about like the the history, not always, but like as long as we've been together, I've known the interesting history of like. Peabrock and harp mm, yeah. and harp and Irish music and Scottish music and I'm like I should I should look at that. I don't want to look at that thing harp and I and then it became clear like after ten years or whatever that like oh this this harp really just lives in a closet and nobody looks at it ever mm-hmm. I'll just bring it home I'll just bring it home and see what I can no do with it and it's it. so fun it was so fun to play yeah um, and uh, but yeah it's uh, it is a kind of I don't know harp from maybe 2000 or 1990 something. And, uh, I have no idea how to play. I mean, I, I kind of know how to play it to the point that I know I'm playing it wrong. And every, every, Uh like you're most harpists, it seems like you kind of, um, it seems like you're supposed to play the harp with your, your hands sort of close to the narrow part, like to the high notes. Like that's kind of where you start. I play it on the bottom and like, there's all this technical way you're supposed to play it. Uh, to get good sound. I don't know what I'm, I'm just like (laughs) plucking at the strings, you know, it's real, it's real chaotic. Um, It was really fun to play. I had a lot of fun playing it, but then I broke a string and then I didn't, um, I couldn't replace it. I realized too, when I tuned it, I tuned everything one note wrong. Like it's one note lower than it's supposed to be everything. Um, So it's it's a real crappy, it is an (laughs) entry level folk harp from the, maybe the eighties or nineties or something. And I've tuned it wrong and the strings are a mess. And like, clearly she broke some strings and replaced them. Cause like the colors matter on harp strings. And oh, sure. Yeah. Somebody restrung some of these things and just put them in willy nilly. And so I assumed you could put them in willy nilly. And then talking to some of my harp playing friends, it's clear that I was kind of coming close to building a bomb, you know, like <laughs> there's so much tension on a harp that if you mess it up, like it'll blow up and, I, um, yeah. It, it sounds uh, like the origin story for like Eddie Van Halen's guitar though. So I think maybe this is an auspicious beginning for your harping career. Yeah. I, I kind of miss it. The, I, I found a harpist here in, um, cause it, it needs new strings and I'm kind of bummed cause I, I really liked playing, um, I like playing Roly Poly on it and there's ah, another yeah. tune that kind of builds into a set of with Roly Poly that I can't figure out the name of. Um, I couldn't, I can't find where I got it. So I've just decided to give it a new name and call it my own. And, uh, but anyway, it all works really well on harp, but the, because the string broke and the tuning's all messed up, I've been thinking about just trying to give it to some professional harpist in town to get it restrung. But mm. that's a thing. Like, that's a huge thing. I just thought like, oh, I'll just get some new strings and do it. And talking to my harpist friends and I would say, they're like, uh, you kind of can't just do that. You gotta oh, know man. all so, these details so you don't blow it up. Like what? Um, so, so it's, it's, it's like just reading a chanter. Here. It's not. It's not like you can just throw strings onto a guitar. You gotta, yeah. Huh. Like you, I mean, you could. I guess. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm like sometimes I know enough to be dangerous. Yeah. I'm just dangerous. I don't know just anything, dangerous. but I know <laughs> that I'm dangerous. So I guess that's what I know. Yeah. With this harp, but. Well, what what about what about your arsenal of instruments has changed since you made this album? What? Well, uh, not much. I've got some. I got a, a couple new whistles. I guess that's about it, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. This this B flat um, this B flat generation whistle is pretty cool. I just got this new G whistle, um, which I really I really like. It's super loud though. Like it'll probably max out the thing. But... 
What's, um, what is it made out of? It's aluminum. Um, huh? It's the same. It's the same maker as my uh, low D whistle, but it's tunable, which I really like. And uh, I don't know. It's just so loud. Like the, I think it's. I think the G whistle is louder than my my low D whistle. But, um, but yeah, it's it's a fun little thing. It comes. You know, it's a a good. It's weird. Low G is a weird pitch on a whistle because it's like. Mm. You can kind of do Piper's Grip, and you can kind of not do Piper's Grip, and neither really work well. Hmm. Like, it's hard to play with your fingertips, and it's also hard to play with your with Piper's Grip. So it's a, that's a weird thing. And it's also a very unforgiving whistle. Like, I'm, a lot of my whistles will, like, if I flub the note, it, it doesn't ring out so awkwardly. Or, like, like the octaves aren't hard to get right. But, woof, <laughs> this uh, really Thunderbird you know. G is, uh, is tricky. But, yeah, my arsenal hasn't really changed much. I've gotten... Uh, I got a set of uh, shuttle pipes, some, some more oh, shuttle right, pipes of course. Yeah. since then. But uh, I don't know. It's That's the other thing. I've, I've got this like fantasy set of um, Felsberg pipes that are coming at some point in the not-too-distant future. So yeah. part of me is like, holding off on the next album until I've got those. You want to sneak those in there on some tracks? Yeah. The, um, the, the small pipes that you use to do the Mermaid set, which yeah. is track nine... Would those have been then the? Let's see. I'm looking at your list of instruments. That's the a borrowed de- set. Oh, oh, that's the borrowed set of Ray Sloan yeah. small pipes. Okay. Yeah. I, again, just like so many times when I move from a place that I've lived in for years, I'll like find like realize that I should have been best friends with somebody for for the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <that I> <laughs> Um, and your yeah, upstairs was... neighbor just had these pipes in a box. Is that what you're yeah. going to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Like the not upstairs, but like literally in the same neighborhood that I lived in for a while, turns out there was another Piper. Like I didn't think there was any other Pipers in Iowa city. There was, there was one other guy that played Illin pipes, but he kind of switched back to saxophone. It's sort of a sad story where like he had a, uh, I don't know if he had a half set or a three quarter set from Tim Britton. Mm. And then he got a full set, like went to Ireland, picked up his full set. And like Illin pipes are so mean. Mm. <laughs> They're just so mean. Um, and like I'm sure his pipe sounded great in Ireland, and then got them home to Iowa, and I assume that they went pear shaped. Uh-huh. And he just like, well, I guess I'll play saxophone now. Mm. <laughs> like he just went, he went back to he kind of quit showing up at sessions and dropped out of the Irish band he was in, and just started focusing on his jazz again. It's like, mm. oh man. Um, so yeah. Anyway, so I didn't think I didn't know any of the other pipers in town, and I didn't really think there were any, but the. Like in 2021, 2020, I guess, I met this kind of lovely woman who was in Iowa to get the, um, like Iowa City had a big creative writing program and Mm. that was her background. Um, Sorry, my microphone came unplugged and I'm just fixing that here. Oh, so, hmm. anyway, uh, this gal played Highland Pipes and her, uh, small world but like her aunt she's from she's from new england from like uh maine and, and up there and her aunt uh was kind of big in the irish music scene up there and ray sloan had come to do a workshop or something mm. uh up in new england and bought her her niece this kind of beautiful set of small pipes uh that ray sloan had made and yeah she just let me borrow them because she wasn't using them terribly much because ray sloan's pipes are like they're good like they sound great but they're they're not like they're definitely they take some they take some 
familiarity. Like kind of every pipe has a, every set of pipes has a, you know, it takes a while to figure out its oh for sure yeah eccentricities yeah um and those those small pipes have had had a couple little like huh that's tricky <laughs> that's tricky to get it worked out and I think um, Amelia I think the the woman who loaned me I think she might have broken a reed at some point too so that like kind of when she was in that getting comfortable with the set of pipe stage. Uh, they, they broke too. So it like just added all this sort of hassle. So, mm. so anyway, she, we, we kind of wound up having a mutual friend and, um, she brought the small pipes over to see if I could get them to work better for her. Um, and I just asked to borrow them <laughs> so I could record them cause I didn't have really a good set of small pipes at the time and I wanted to use them for the podcast, but did they have the, like the pole switch at the end of the drones to turn them on yeah. and off. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I've seen that's the feature that has stood out to me before when I've seen Race Loan's pipes. Yeah, so it's like it's so Race Loan is like it's interesting. It's interesting, right? Because he's he that's Northumbrian, like that's right, a Northumbrian yeah. thing, and so he makes like Northumbrian pipes. And like there's uh, again, like to 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 put us in time of of when this is all when our conversation is happening, but. um I just get sort of nervous when there's a, a, a pipe maker who I really like who starts to do a different set of different type of pipes. It feels like we lose a lot of really good Scottish like small pipe and border pipe makers to Illin piping. Like they always uh, just like, well, <laughs> like Nate Batten is like, well, I guess I'm making Illin pipes now. Or yeah. <laughs> like, well, what's I, that? I guess we're making Illin pipes. I'm like, damn it. Yeah. And I would really just, like a set of theirs, but darn there. Uh, you got to find a use set, huh? <laughs> yeah. And like, and so Rob Felsberg just posted on social media like two days ago. And <laughs> not I'm like, him oh, too. There's a set of villain pipes that I've been <laughs> oh, yeah, refurbishing. I, saw that post. Like, oh, no. oh, I did not even think of making that connection. Yeah. yeah, this is like the Timon and Pumbaa seeing seeing the writing on the wall situation, <laughs> yeah. right? <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. I, I hope I hope Rob keeps making. I mean, whatever. I'm sure like the world needs more Ilan pipes too. Uh, it's just there's so few. It feels like there's so few good Scottish small pipe and and border pipe makers that that stick at it, you know. Mm. Um, but Ilan pipe, it's just. I mean, it's not like there's a plethora of Ilan pipe makers either. It's just yeah, that's uh, true. We need them all, don't we? Yeah, we do. We do. I don't know, man. We need we need to subsidize. We need to do better work of subsidizing our pipe makers out there. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know. How do we get some government grants or something just to go mm-hmm. toward the the whole thing? Yeah. Every once in a while, like NPU, like uh, Napeebra Island does a lot of work to like make sure that pipe making doesn't die because yeah. you know, like it was really close. Like Leo yeah. Rousen was sort of the only living person making Island pipes for uh, a, too long. For too long, it was one mm-hmm. dude, and uh, and maybe not, but like basically, it was one dude. And there's the Pibrailan has done a good job of like making sure that doesn't happen. Where there's a lot of people that are training and learning how to make pipes all the time, but like I don't know, it doesn't it doesn't make it any more affordable, and it doesn't make being a professional pipe maker a pipe maker any more a better living. Yeah, and like yeah. it's still brutal. Like bag pipe, Illin pipes are super expensive. And still, the pipe makers themselves are broke. Like it's yeah, not... that is the it's the messiest thing, man. I, I, I've been thinking about that because we've got Dirk there in Colorado who's been reading that oh, chanter yeah. you're loaning to me, and he makes them. You know, he makes full sets, and it's like, man, on my end of the potential transaction, I can't afford a set, and on his end of the potential, like you, it's so much money and yet so little, such a tight margin. Yeah. You know, it's just and especially in a, like not to. I mean, in America too, like the, there's something to be said for countries with like national, nationalized healthcare where like 
you can afford <laughs> to kind of pursue your art if you don't have to worry about a m- m- yeah. medicine cost ruining right. your life, you know? <laughs> um, like, I don't know. The um, A buddy of mine was, was talking, who he, he used to be really friendly with, with Hamish Moore, was like, mm. you couldn't do this if you're American. Like, you couldn't. You couldn't just kind of experiment and learn how to build small pipes and yeah. make small pipes in Lowland. Like, you couldn't do that you gotta, in the United you gotta States. You got to survive like, first. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh. Makes me feel a little bit better about not pursuing my dreams. <laughs> yeah. I can't. I'm American. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. The American like dream. The most like backward statement ever. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Put this, let's release this episode of the 4th of July. Let's, yeah. Let's there we go. That. Perfect. Yeah. Oh. Hey, um, but that, that mermaid set, yeah. uh, am I wrong thinking that, uh, the first tune in that set is on Breach's recent album? It is, yeah. Track, yeah. track five, I think, of her album, a title that I can't pronounce. Yeah, she uses the Gaelic name for it, and I need to see it. Here's another yet another yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it was interesting because like breaches that whole album right is about stories and like folklore and you know Gaelic song and stuff and uh, my approach to that tune is so different of like because the mermaid song's been around like it's not it, it, breaches is not the only like the first big name person to do it either um, there's sort of a I felt empowered to do it a little bit more creatively because um, I don't know if it's an Australian musician or if just an Australian told me about it, but mm. that like there is there's a recording of I think it's on saxophone, which is interesting for for Gucci doing. Another, it, yeah, another connection there. Yeah, yeah, but there's um, but there's some just there, it kind of lends itself to to monkeying around a bit, and mm. so that's why I, I definitely monkeyed around with that a lot. Like all so many of those Gaelic songs and um, Patrick McDonald's uh, collection of Highland and vocal airs from the 1780s, like they just feel kind of. Like, yeah, this is experimental. And when Patrick McDonald wrote about it, he's like, well, you know, this is one version of it, but people did these things really different ways. And kind of, mm-hmm. um, one thing that I love from Patrick McDonald's essay is is how alive that music was of like, mm. yeah, I recorded one version of it, but it was different every single time. And sometimes people would just hold a note that they liked over and over and over again for whatever reason as they were performing it. Um, so that was sort of my approach to Mermaid Song. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's Mermaid... This is another one. I don't know why I didn't list all the tunes. Well, I guess I do know why. It's, a, it's Mermaid Song, Fisherman's Song for Attracting Seals, Spoligan, Joseph McDonald's, Jake Lord Rees, Jake and the Goat Herd. But, like, I think Spoligan, Joseph McDonald's, Jake Lord Rees, Jake and the Goat Herd are all just numbered in Patrick McDonald's collection. It's, like, tune five, six, seven, rather than, like, actually having the titles. For mm. it. But, uh, anyway. Well, the... The the idea of having like living music, I mean, that's that's it's it's fascinating and interesting and, and exciting, and it also is like I feel like it's a it's like a good reminder, especially when dealing with his like 
historical music is that what you would say or like what we have is this one time it was captured on paper yeah. you know and yeah. it's like it's really really easy to assume therefore that's the one right way and the way it was always done and right it's handy what? to remember like oh no 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 this is one person's capturing it at one time you know like this is all in the air and that's one of the I mean again that's one of the, the cool things about Patrick McDonald's and him just like spelling that out like yeah. I heard this multiple ways this is just what I recorded um, did yeah, you it's weird to think how much I felt um, like I had to in hindsight it feels like such a straw man like obviously music can be played different ways uh-huh. but like part of that weird like pipe band and competition training is like no it's gotta be this one thing right yeah. I remember uh, a non-piper kind of calling me a fool at some point because I was I, I made some weird comment that Simon Fraser University didn't play or either Simon Fraser or 78 didn't play the Mason's apron like it was written in Scott's guards or something they didn't play and it they, right <laughs> right right and they and this this friend of mine Amanda who was not a piper but like was a kid of a piper and was like tuned to this music was like yeah they can do what they want <laughs> and I was like, what do you know? And like, well, no, obviously it's music. Like what? Yeah. Like this is a straw man to even suggest that there's one way to do a thing. But that, like that programming runs weird deep though. Man. Yeah. Like if you're raised, if your first instrument is Highland piping in a pipe band, yeah, that's where my brain was. Yeah. And it took a long time to realize how absurd that was. Like, it's like the whole fourth season of the podcast is me still like fighting with this straw man, like mm. and realizing like, oh no, this isn't a thing. It's interesting though, like how much of that too is, well, I don't know, maybe this is a silly thing to say, but I wonder how much of it also is a, a, um, a feature or aspect or characteristic of a certain age for a person, you know, like, oh yeah. So you right. were maybe in your black and white thinking days and maybe, right. so maybe a lot of, maybe a lot of people have, you know, gone through that too, you know? Yeah. I mean, I certainly have personally as well, you know, we're going, going from thinking there's one right way and this is the right way. And if there's a right way, that means every other way is a wrong way. Right. Not just with music, with like everything in my whole life, you know, everything in the world. Um, but it seems like it's not, I, I don't know, like maybe I'm wrong. I feel like I started learning piping at an age where like maybe even a little bit older than where they would want kids to be learning it in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe a little bit older than most people or, or a little bit young. Like I was younger than when most people learn it in the United States, but older than when most people learn it in Scotland, I guess like mm-hmm. I was nine, nine or 10, I guess when I started taking Highland pipe lessons. And so, yeah, it's definitely that, thinking i don't know i don't know how how strong the straw man lives in in scotland you know i don't know i don't know if that sure. straw man exists in scotland the same way it does in the united states well there, like where there's that thing of like we are rather than being part of a tradition there's an aspect where we're kind of copying or trying to represent a tradition that we're outsiders to so uh, there's yeah, a, like a yeah. more prescriptive nature to it maybe but. that that i think that makes sense as an aspect of it for sure and and there's something like I'm not qualified to speak to, but like kind of comes to mind. I think I think it's maybe something William James was playing around with as like kind of a theor a psychological. <laughs> oh, oh, dude, are you okay? That sounded that came through like that was an experience. That sounded terrifying. 
Did just, the rat water. get in? There's water. The rat did not get in. There's water everywhere, though. I thought I could just real quietly grab my bottle of water to, to drink some, but nope, nope, not quiet at all. Uh, anyway, sorry, William man. James. Uh, yeah. I yeah okay so it was like I I'm I'm having I'm having this like vague grasping at this idea that like um, incorporated groups of people whether that be a, a tribe a nation state a church a school a company whatever it is um, might potentially as a group move through the same kinds of stages of uh, psychological development as an oh, individual sure. does. But then the group, because it's a bigger thing, moves more slowly, right? And so it might take decades or generations to experience the life cycle that each individual within that group will experience in their one life cycle, right? But then it can also have this limiting effect where members of that incorporated group, if the incorporated group has ma- is at stage three or four, then no individual within that group can go beyond stage three or four because if they do, they become outcasts from the group. And so, okay. I mean, maybe this is just the silliest thing to apply to music, right? But, like, maybe we're, as a group, competitive pipe bands or just traditional musicians in general or, or maybe just some of us who didn't see the light for a long time or still haven't. I don't, I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't make me seem like I'm just saying that I have broken free of the shackles <laughs> and am now so enlightened, you know what I mean? Right. But, like, if the culture in general is you know, still a teenager in a way, then our, in general, all of us, our attitude about the music and what is right and what is wrong will remain teenager like unless put up against like great resistance, you know, um, until the entire group as a whole moves on to adulthood as it were. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, 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 I dig that. That's a I lot mean, of talking I'm, I'm, right there. Gene, I'm always here to complain about pipe bands, <laughs> yeah, competition. <laughs> I've been trying to be like more chill about like, cause I've said some things maybe too strongly in the past, you know, like I, I mean, now I, you're the voice of Piper's dojo. You gotta be careful. <laughs> right. <that you're>, right. <laughs> <laughs> I can count on you to be like somebody I can point to to be like, ah, there's somebody out here who's saying it more harsh than I am, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's interesting to think about anyway. And I think maybe some of the context, I think maybe too hard about this sometimes because of the context of some other aspects of my personal life. <laughs> yeah. Maybe well, cross you over, also, you know? Like you but, learned, did you start learning in high school or did you learn? I, yeah. I mean, I was, I was 14 when I first started learning, so. But it was part of your high school experience. Of yes, like it was. Students. That's right. Yeah. Like I had a class well, during like the day. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Man. I mean, I, I wonder about feeling like a thing is like you know that it can't be heterodox or whatever like you, you mm. gotta do the the thing um yeah I, I wonder if anybody else in my pipe band that were the the norm which was like 30 and 40 somethings when they were learning like mm. did they feel the same way about it or was this just like you said because i was in black and white mm. black and white learning yeah. stages but yeah, well, let's hit another tune. I could not skip over the night we had the goats. That was one of my favorite things <laughs> ever, was hearing you sing that tune. Um, so, you know, we've, we've kind of talked about singing before, but I'm just, you know, like, I'm into this idea. Like, to what degree, like, before when we talked, we talked about, like, does knowing the lyrics ever ruin the song, right? Right. But I'm also curious about, like, how do the the consonants and the vowels in the original language of a tune, if the tune was made to go, you know with specific words how do those inform the notes you know how do those inform the melody line yeah i have no idea i'm um 
I'm glad to have this opportunity to talk about it though, because of uh, listening to to you and Andrew talk about it mm. um, on on an episode that might come out before this one. Because um, I I, th- I think Andrew's point about the the words, right? Andrew O'Sullivan. Yeah, that's right. right. It was, yeah. It was, yeah. Um, like the the point that he makes about the the night we had the goats and like the the weirdness of some of these Gaelic songs being like. Well, it's just the words that sound like the instrument is sort of what's going on. Mm. Um, and so, but like, there's the greater thing that you and I talked about last time about how, how funny it is that as outsiders to this, Gaelic always has this mythical quality to us. Yes, and then right. when you become, a, when you dig a little bit deeper and realize like what they're singing, it's not actually uh, something terribly sacred. You know, I think sort of the, a like, cat trying to decide know. if it was going to leave the kitchen yeah. was the, the topic at yeah. hand at the time. <laughs> Uh, and so the night we had the goats, like, and like the night we had the goats is enough of a jaunty song. That I don't know that if I had heard it in Gaelic, if I would have thought like, Ooh, something serious is happening. Right. Here. Right. Um, but it's interesting. So Andrew pointed out that like, well, yeah, they're rhythmically trying to copy the bagpipes and Barry, Barry's take on those songs was that like, they're also language learning tools where like, yeah, it's rhythmically like trying to use language to copy the, the sound and the mechanics of a fiddle or a bagpipe. Mm. But then it's also the linguistic challenge. It's puns, you know, like, I think there's a level of it that it's a pun. Like, can you sing a thing that sounds like the notes of the musical instrument we wish we were listening to mm. and also have it make linguistic sense? Like, where it's not just fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la, but, like, then I found a pile of $5 hold or something, you know, like, mm. like where it still works as a sentence, even though it might be kind of goofy, you know, mm. the night we had the goats, the three goats, the three goats, the night we had the goats, three goats. Yeah. Like, that sort funny. of works as a sentence. Um, and it's a, you know, for like a kid's rhyme, like it teaches you how to, maybe it, it's helps to learn how to do multiples or, or whatever. Like, I don't know, but I don't know the details of that enough. Like, uh, I can definitely, my, I don't know if this really works as a direct example, but like there's this really fun like Ojibwe language because I speak Ojibwe, don't speak Gaelic and uh, Ojibwe is a, a much more complicated language than Gaelic. And like, it has a lot of complicated, um, very complicated, like um, things at the beginning and ends of words. Holy buckets. Uh, Prep prefixes suffixes yeah prefaces suffixes uh that really change the way that the verb like verbs work it's a verb based language so you've got like things at the beginning and the end of the verb to change what a sentence is and like it can kind of be hard to get people like it feels really intimidating at first you're like well there's four different types of verbs and every one of them has a slightly different variation setting and like there's kind of there's four different ways to say a thing, but there's also kind of more like a hundred different ways to say everything. Mm. And it feels very like, ooh, intimidating. But the there's been this really successful game uh, here where I'm at on the Red River Valley up in Winnipeg uh, that uh, a gal created. And it's, it's a card game where you basically, uh, like you have the root verb and then people play various conjugations to kind of have the funniest, um, funniest sentence. So it's sort of like, it's a weird version of like apples to apples or whatever, or not apples to apples, um, cards against humanity or something. Like oh, you're sure. Playing games, except you're playing suffixes, and it's it's mm. known as the boogit game or the boogity game because like the boogity is a uh, well. I just let's just nah, I, this is a silly game, but boogit boogit. What would you think? What would you guess that boogit meant? Boogit boogit. Um, a uh, it's an onomatopoeia kind of. I think boogit. Oh. Uh, 
it's an onomatopoeia, huh? I, I would have I, I immediately tied it to either boogers or the boogeyman. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah. So so boogity boogity is a fart. Like uh, oh, boogity is, is oh, he or she is farting. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. I mean, it's if you say it out loud a bunch and kind of puff your cheeks up, it feels like yeah. it a little bit. But but anyway, so this this boogity card game where like you're playing conjugations to say who farted, like it was just a way. It was like a fun. It's a funny way to like gamify this thing that people were all of a sudden very invested in the conjugations, and it seems to be like a pretty successful method for teaching kids um, a kind of complex linguistic system. Um, Because often in the United States and and Canada to a lesser extent, but certainly in the United States, like language learning for Ojibwe, like Ojibwe language stuff, even though it's a verb-based language where like learning verb is important because everybody's default language is English, which is very noun-focused, you wind up just learning a bunch of Ojibwe nouns, which make you... I guess fine. You can pepper in. That makes it easier to use with English. You can say, oh, yeah, I was over there and I saw this Wawish Gacy over there, rather than saying I saw a deer. You can use the Ojibwe word for a deer and it feels very big and cool, like you're doing a thing. But that's not at all how the language works, so it's not helpful for, like, actually making speakers. Right. Um, so the way that people get invested in verb learning is a silly game about farts. And, like, maybe... <laughs> Maybe there's something going on like with that too, with like these Gaelic songs. Some of the goofier ones, like is this just a language learning tool for like passing on complicated conjugations or plural? And, and that's the thing I don't know. Other than Barry suggested that there's an aspect of that going on to these songs, and I'd like to hear what um, John Charles or, or Andrew or Sullivan had to say uh, if that tracks with some of these some of these tunes at all. That that makes sense. There, there's a, a way more like way less useful more trivial kind of thing that came to my mind when talking with andrew about it this and actually now i can't remember if i mentioned it to him while talking to him or if it just happened in my brain (laughs) but Mm. when i was a kid my mom used to sing this song i don't know if other moms sang this song to their kids too but it was this one that's the mares eat oats and dozy oats and little lambsy divey a kiddly divey too wouldn't you does that (laughs) sound familiar to you not at all. No. It, it, it's it's the the joke of it is like it sounds like a made up language, right? Marezy dotes and dozy dotes and little lambsy divey, right? Yeah. But you you slow it down and break it up. It's mares eat oats and does eat oats and little lambs eat ivy. A kid mm. will eat ivy too, wouldn't you? Right? But yeah. Okay. You, yeah. you just slur it together, and it sounds like something. And it, that's I don't know what that is other than just a fun game. You know, like you yeah. just you're just playing with the words. Yeah, tongue twister, kind of more. It's more than that, though. Yeah, I get what you're saying. That's cool. Yeah, so so I mean, you know, so and also that comes to mind because of the goats. The goats, how many goats? Three goats. You know, we had the goats. We had three goats. I think. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so I don't know. Well, so so the conclusion is there's probably a lot of different reasons for songs to come together the way they do. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like I don't again. I've been dabbling. I've been thinking about um, like part of the reason I didn't sing it in Gaelic because I don't speak Gaelic and I think there's a uh, like I shouldn't pretend to I guess like uh or shouldn't shouldn't try to shouldn't fake it you know like uh like it takes a lot of work to learn a language and Mm -hmm. it's uh it's a weird thing to be like I'll just sing in this language that I've spent all of 20 minutes on YouTube learning um I know that there's like a lot of singers that do that right like that's part of being a professional singer is like yeah I speak Italian fluently phonetically for this song, and I don't right, actually speak yeah. Italian, right? Yeah. Um, but it feels different in folk music to me. I don't know. Maybe maybe it isn't, but it... it like, there's nothing like irreverent about ABBA doing this for English, right? <laughs> right, But, but right. there is there does seem like there's... Especially if it's, like, a song that has to do with, like, a heritage of some kind. There's something there that feels like 
it deserves more respect or something from Maybe, him. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it just didn't feel like a thing I should do. And it didn't feel like a thing I could do well. So I, uh, <laughs> so it was like, it, it was going to take more work uh, than whatever. And, and for me, like, you know, this, these albums and the podcast and all this stuff is so like self fulfilling or mm. uh, my own thing. And, it was just really shocking to me. Like that was a really interesting development when I looked at Eliza Ross's manuscript and um, I don't know if it's the school of Scottish, I'm not sure if it's the school of Scottish studies or who has uh, Eliza Ross's collection up, but there's like a great, yeah, it is. It's the school of Scottish studies. They have a great like manuscript version of it where like they have the translation of things. And that was mm. maybe my first exposure of like, wait, that's what that is. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just such a like, Oh, I need to disavow myself of these weird Sort of, it comes back to this heroes thing, right? Of like, yeah. you know, there's this is not, this is not some ancient, uh, like everything is not some sacred druidic uh, mm. legend, you know. Right. Uh, it's sometimes just, it's just some goats. It's just some goats. <laughs> We had three goats the night we had the goats, three young goats. The night we had the goats, we had three goats. The night we had the goats, three young goats. We had the three, yes, the three, yes, the three goats. The night we had, we had three young goats. We had the three, all the three, all the three goats. The night we had, we had three young goats. the jaw harp jeremy do you do you strike back toward your face or do you strike forward away from your face mostly towards my face yeah gotcha gotcha the um i really really like the jaw harp groove on pigtown flame just that's just what it's supposed to be that's so yeah. groovy 
Um, it was. It's weird. Like I don't know that I've ever jaw harped as good as that either. Like that was the first. I think that's the first time I put it on the podcast, and it was mm-hmm. like, no, that's it. I'm yeah. done. I should retire from yeah. jaw harp now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no need good. for a second take. Yeah. Any? Is there a story behind behind Pigtown? Where the heck that is, and why they're having a fling, or is that just a fun <laughs> title? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The that's another one I wouldn't have found if it wasn't for traditional tune archive. Huh. Um, there's so many, there's so many different settings for Campbell's are coming or Miss McLeod of Rossi. Mm. And, um, and yeah, Pigtown Fling was one of many of the kind of American old time settings for that tune. And something about that, something about that particular melody just was too fun to not, not include, I guess. Like at a certain point it just becomes like, sometimes I'm desperate for material and I'll just record everything. Even if there's like one note oh, difference sure, yeah. uh, in order to like, well, I guess well, this will be just an episode and, Sometimes I have more patience to like, well, is that really worth listening to or not? And pick down fling anyway. Of all the American, like Americana settings of um, Miss McLeod of Rossi, that was definitely the most interesting one to me at the time. Yeah, I, it, I, I liked everything about it, especially the jaw harp groove, though. Yeah. It was very groovy. Yeah. You, you know, you mentioned the camels are coming. You want to know an embarrassing story? I, yeah. I got hired once to go and play for a family reunion of Campbell's. Yeah, and so they're like, "Will you play the Campbells are coming?" You know, I was like, "Oh yeah, sure." In fact, uh, <laughs> but here's the thing: here's what's embarrassing. I, it's like up a canyon here nearby, which that's a phrase I've re- I've been realizing recently because of where I live. Up the canyon is a thing that we <laughs> say like every day, constantly, because sure. I'm just yeah. surrounded by canyons. Right. So of course, that's where social events happen is up canyons. So it was mm. up up one of these canyons, and uh, and uh, I get up there. The whole crowd is there. They're all really excited. They're very lovely family, having a lot of fun. And so I come out in my kilt and everything, step out in the grass, and like, hey, how's everybody doing? All cheering, you know. And like, how are how how are the Hamiltons tonight? <laughs> <laughs> and there's like a few people like, woo, you know. It's like, you're not the Hamiltons, you're the Campbells. And I'm gonna play the Ham- Campbells are coming, and I just strike in and play, get out of there as quick as I could. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, you did like the thing where you showed up and were like, "Hello, Cincinnati, exactly. here in Memphis." Yep, yeah. totally, man. Just yeah. the silliest thing. Um, I, how do you? How do you? Speaking of all the good music that's been coming out, right? Yeah, and the good music that already existed. How do you prefer to listen to music? Like, as in what medium? Like. Uh, headphones which kind um speakers in the car you know like what's your if you got something you really want to enjoy how do you enjoy it yeah uh headphones Mm. um and like the i don't know over the over the course of as i've gotten older i guess and paid more attention to the news and know more things and are more (laughs) the more inclined i am to be uh kind of perturbed and uh annoyed at the state of the world or whatever. I think a lot of us have had a hard time just sitting in silence. Uh, yeah. I, I wonder about that sometimes how readily I go for my headphones because I yeah. have lots of different sets of headphones in my office, in my, in my kitchen, in my bedroom. So I can yeah. never be in silence. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if I need to work on that. <laughs> right. Right. Like I, I noticed it. I had a hard time. Uh, well, yeah, I, anyway, I, I very much noticed it, like when I had like personal loss or whatever. Like, oh, I don't. I think I think I'm handling the death of my father fine, but it turns out I can't actually do anything without headphones on for yeah. <laughs> like, for the last seven years or five years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I I like a noise canceling headphone. Uh, 
I, again, when I was a poor grad student, I was, I kept on buying the cheap ones that kept breaking. Ah, uh, yeah. And it's like, you know, this isn't actually worth it. Um, so right now I'm, I'm, I'm rocking a set of noise canceling headphones I really like. Um, Momentum, I think they're called. They're kind of on the expensive side because, uh, like, they kept breaking. Um, and then having, having the baby around, uh, if I was wearing headphones around the baby, he would like grab them and throw them to the floor and like broke a pretty good set of affordable headphones. Um, so I finally bought like a, a steel set of Bluetooth connecting, connecting ones I really like. I've lost a few pair of glasses to that same kind of children. (laughs) They can get a hold of this and babies have an iron grip too. Man, like, and yeah, I I think I, I had my, my new sea chanter, uh, for a day before Robin got a hold of it and bit it so hard on the top cap, like, <laughs> and like Richard Pacos, who who made my my sea chanter, like he's he's got a pretty pretty style of like an end cap that he puts on the top of his chanter, and it's not ruined, but it's kind of lovely that I can see like, oh yeah, that's my son's Robin's first teeth. tooth, yeah, <laughs> like, just scratched into the top of his chanter. Uh, it's kind of fun. Um, like yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of too bad, but it's also kind of adorable and, and right. beautiful like, to have it forever. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not a. I clearly have uh, bagpipe acquisition syndrome. Yeah, I, yeah. There's some people. I don't know how you feel about people like. Well, you've you've been this person too. I think who like a lot of bagpipes come and go from your life. You're not. Yes. Yeah. You're not a dam. Like you don't. Yeah. You don't keep them all. You you're a borrower of of bagpipes. Right. I consider of... the money that I spent on my bagpipes ten years ago still in. It's still in uh, in play at present in the current <laughs> sure. pipes I have, and it right. just continues moving, yeah. Yeah, whereas I'm like, well, I wouldn't have been able to buy a full set of Ellen pipes if it wasn't for inheritance from my grandma, so I can never get rid of this full set of Ellen <laughs> yeah. pipes or this McCallum set of Highland pipes. Like, yeah. these must be mine forever because of whatever reason. Yeah. But. Well, and I do have, like, my Highland pipes I've had forever, you know. My parents bought them for me. I'll, I'll probably always have them, but, but yeah, for sure different different philosophies for how to where's your bagpipe money and what is yeah. it, how does it function but uh the, the but yeah, reason I, I oh, go ahead, go, oh ahead. go ahead well i was just gonna say like the um i i don't feel educated enough to actually have a conversation about kit but i i was recently listening to something especially now that there's a baby around uh i spend a lot more time listening to headphones than putting things on you know speakers like yeah. in the car or whatever yeah. and uh i'm really nervous a little bit about like how much the the technology of headphones have gotten to the point where like, I I think my headphones and the various app players that I use on my phone, like auto adjust to be at a consistent level, which makes kind of getting the levels figured out for Mm. podcasting kind of a nightmare of like, well, it sounds good on my headphones, but it might sound like (laughs) crap anywhere else. Yeah. (laughs) Your headphones might be too good. (laughs) Yeah. 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 The, the the reason I ask about them, I, well, headphones are a thing that I I uh, like. I don't think I could ever possibly feel like a price is unjustified. Like I just I love I really love good headphones, and yeah. I could never feel like I had too many. I don't feel like I have too many sets now. You know, it's something I always dream of, even though I have decent ones already. But I really like Lament of a Druid, and it's one that yeah. I I like listening to in a quality setting, as if you know what I mean. You know, like some, okay, yeah. some good headphones, turn it up to a good volume, that kind of thing. Um, and that's that's why I was curious how you listen to stuff. But also, Lament of a Druid, what a beautiful song. Um, kind of spooky too, dark.
it's it's a tune that I play wrong. Um, like that's not at all how it's written. That's I interesting. I you you are my entire context for this tune. I, I don't know yeah. any 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 other sort of setting of it. So it's one of these weird things where uh, so Charlotte Milligan Fox, who collected that tune, um, collected it in 1900, and there's this weird thing where like the story of where she got it from is sort of like confusing. Where like. She got it from an old piper in 1900 who said he got it from a piper who played at this famous harp convention in Belfast. It's like, it's sort of like how a lot of times when Seamus Ennis is telling stories about pipers, there'll be some fairy connection that doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's my favorite, like it doesn't, yeah. Like, it doesn't matter that there's a fairy involved, but like, well, as a preamble, let me just tell you that this piper has a relationship with the fairies, and now yeah. let me tell you the rest of the story. Yeah. That has nothing to do with the fact that there's a fairy involved. Um... And so that's sort of the vibe I get from Charlotte Milligan Fox, who collected this tune in 1900 and heard it from an old guy who said, oh, I heard it from an old guy, and he got it from a guy that was at the 1792 Belfast Heart Convention. <laughs> like, so what? <laughs> like, what does it matter? Um, but Charlotte Milligan Fox isn't a... She wasn't a piper, so, like, the way she wrote the tune was sort of confusing. Like, it didn't, mm. didn't make a lot of sense to me at first, and so I was playing around with it how to, how to do it and um but yeah it's probably it's probably supposed to actually sound like this the like it doesn't have that that's pretty but not the the spooky yeah, kind of thing spooky, i liked yeah. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I like the, the only thing that's redeemable about that version of it uh it's not redeemable it's fine it's beautiful either way is beautiful um but it sounds a lot like, um, this is a thing I wouldn't have noticed if it weren't for TikTok. And I, I played that tune on TikTok and somebody's like, oh, that sounds like uh, Iroh's song, like the, the leaves on the grass or whatever, or the leaves on the trees. The, there's a song that some character from uh, Avatar and The Last Airbender sings for his dead son. And it's like, oh yeah, that's the, that's sort of the mm. same song. <laughs> like, um, the, I think the Iroh song is... It's like it's not the same, but it's sort of like oh, I can see how you might, yeah, I can see a similarity there yeah, for sure. Um, but it was kind of cool. It was it was an interesting experience where uh, I got that tune thanks to uh, Simon Chadwick, who's this cool harpist, uh, cool harp player in Ireland who uh, plays a, a brass harp, like a mm. like uses brass wire still. So like all the old school Irish harps had brass wires rather than gut ones, and so they were considerably louder and had a lot longer sustain mm. um and and so simon is sort of the reason that i think of pibrock and harp at all is because that's sort of his his big thing was talking about um kind of the the harp roots of, of pibrock and uh anyway he he had he was doing something this is part of a, a whole big family of tunes that simon had listed as a possible concordance of past one o'clock or uh, cold and frosty morning i think is the name of the tune um and I couldn't quite hear it. I couldn't quite figure it out. And I was like, well, I don't know. And, and Simon was saying, yeah, I think this tune, I think Lament of a Druid is like past one o'clock. It's one of these settings of that tune. Mm. And I played it and he's like, wow, I would not have expected it to sound like that. And it was, it was, it was really cool. Like in terms of like piping heroes, I played it on Instagram and Jarlett Henderson was like, wait, that's not how it's written, is it? Because <laughs> huh. like he had never heard the tune either, but it was, it's such a funky, that way of playing it with all those. Like it didn't weird... fit the idiom. 
Yeah, it was just yeah. like, that stands out. So anyway, it led to like a cool conversation of me realizing, thanks to Jarlow Henderson, that like, you know, it's probably not how it's written, but I kind of, I think I prefer it that way. I pre- mm-hmm. I, in fact, I'm sure I do. I prefer it that way. I, it's my and, favorite. If I had to pick a track to listen to like for the rest of my life off this album, it would be my pick. I like it a lot. Yeah, it's really good. Good. There's nothing like an air on Alan Pipes, man. Like they're just. Yeah. It's a good. It's so good. This is this is actually part of why like I am like enthusiastic to try Ellen piping. You know, yeah. uh, is that like uh, I would love to be able to play fast and closed fingers and all kinds of cool stuff. Really, I would love to do that. But if I can only ever play a plaintive air, a plaintive air that's going to be okay too, you know, because yeah. it's beautiful. <laughs> so yeah. there's a weird thing that we're like, airs are hard. Like, don't tell can... me that. Come on. <laughs> like, they're not, I, mean, I they're haven't not... got that chanter yet. So the, the, the <laughs> ignorance is bliss thing is still alive and well for me here. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so excited to hear it. Like, I'm, I'm really curious how that chanter can sound like, yeah. Um, and like you're, you're a gifted enough musician that it'll be fine. Like you'll be able to make great music and great airs immediately. But like, I'm blushing. I, I felt like my interpretation of this, and there's some truth to this, that like, um, the weird thing about Irish music is that it's all like really fast, mostly like it's all really Mm -hmm. like fast and happy jigs and dance music. And then there's, but the, the thing that you hear about it is always airs. Like for soundtracks, it's always this, that's all you hear. And like, for the lay audience, like that's what they expect Alan Pike to be. It's just this, yeah. like that's what they're impressed by is these airs. This, yeah. this is what I used to say as a kid all the time. Anyway, I was like, you know, Irish music, all you hear is airs, but that's the easy stuff. And really it's all this fast stuff. But it's, it's hard, man. Like the, the instrument can do so much like a, an Alan pipe chanter can, can communicate so much, mm-hmm. um, that it's hard. It's just really hard to do. And I, it scared me away from playing it too. And it's also made more complicated because of its Irish airs having this connection to Gaelic song, to Irish song, right? Like to, to Sean Noss singing or whatever, where mm-hmm. it's all very emotive. And like, you, you listen to like a good Sean Noss singer and they're kind of doing that double tone thing anyway. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, it's not like Mongolian throat singing level, but like when Jarlow Henderson sings, Yes, you get you get more than one tone out of his voice, yeah. you know. And um, there's another singer that that does it really explicitly. Uh, oh, it's gonna kill me that I don't know his name. Liam, maybe something. Um, that's a that's a decent bet. Is it Liam Sean? <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, a pretty good, good pretty good guess. <laughs> good good chance. Patsy, uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Patsy or or Liam. But like the the but anyway, like you listen to like the show notes like air singers and they're they're getting a double tone out of it. And I didn't realize I couldn't quite figure out why I didn't feel comfortable playing airs in front of people. And it's sort of the same reason why I'm scared to sing in front of people. It's like it's too naked. Like there's something mm, too exposed yeah. uh in playing an air of like there's so many ways to do it and there's um it's such a commitment to like emotion. And I think I was really it was really revealing i think to watch blackie o'connell play a couple airs and like like blackie o'connell is this amazing Ellen piper in, in ennis and in, in, in kind of claire and ireland yeah. and like anybody that you know goes to like he's sort of one of like the big go-to pipers right um, he's one of my favorite youtube Ellen pipers for sure yeah and 
but he's he's a hot shot. Like he he's weird because he doesn't he doesn't have the same vibe. Like I don't know. There's something that just is so stinking rock star about Black Oh, for sure. Yeah. And like, but seeing him ta- uh, pipe and and talk for a Piper Sunday when he was playing in air, like he just sort of lost it for a couple. It took him a couple seconds to come back from playing in air. Hmm. And because he was playing for a bunch of pipers, he talked about that. Like, yeah, it takes me a little bit. And, like, sometimes I just can't play airs anymore. Like, if I play an air for a funeral for a friend, I'm just, I can't really play that one anymore. Because mm-hmm. it takes too much out of me, you know? And, like, I, I know that from Highland Piping, too, I guess. I mean, I don't I do not do nearly the funerals that, I mean, I don't play for funerals, really. I've played for fewer than 10 in my entire life. But, like, I know that vibe of, like, when you're playing for a loved one in particular, it feels weird to then revisit those same tunes. But Yes, um, for sure. But, yeah, anyway, it's it's just, yeah, airs on, airs on Island Pipes are way harder than they should be, I guess, mm-hmm. because it's just so easy. It's an instrument that has so much stinking emotion that it's hard to, mm-hmm. uh, hard to do without investing something into it, I guess. Well... Then, it, well, in that case, something completely different. How about petticoat loose, loose the belt? <laughs> yeah, uh, right. <laughs> just flip it, flip it to another whole other vibe here.
naughty title. I think so. There's so many. There are so many naughty titles. I I love that recent episode you did with the... What was the... the, What was the reference? The ladies' single syllable? What was it? Monosyllable. Oh, yeah, the monosyllable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of my favorite things. When I talked to, to, to Judy Barker, too, a while ago, and she mentioned, oh, who was it? A very well-known guy in the LBPS circles. I'm trying to remember now who it was, who was, like, announcing at one of the things that she was playing at. And she, I think it was uh, uh, the ranter, Rob, Rob the Ranter. The, it's a very dirty song. Um, okay. And she said something about, like, I think that this song might have, you know, double entendre, and that whoever it was who was there with her, was like it most definitely does, you know. Like, yeah. Uh, are 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 pipe are pipe tune writers particularly naughty, or is this just just everybody's like this? I think everybody's like this. Yeah. I think it's just a weird thing where we we have an assumption that somehow our ancestors were prudes. Yes. Um, yeah. And like, dude, do you remember? Do you remember a while ago when the what did they call them? The the he's at homes were being found in like the whaling communities. No. Um, Oh, they're just they're just like uh plaster dildos. Oh, okay. They were being found in like like hidden underneath the the um like the fireplace bricks in um like east coast whaling villages. Gotta keep them warm, I guess. I guess. Yeah. Right? But that's yeah. it's like shocking, right? It's like no. <laughs> They they surely were not such beings in the past, right? right? They never said swear words, right. you know. Like somehow, <laughs> like my my parents were born somehow not from sex, but some other <laughs> right, more, exactly. uh, yeah. more refined activity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there's there's a funny thing about like even Puritans. Like there are some I can't remember any specific examples, but there's this funny sense of like yeah, the Puritans had laws about sexual behavior because people did things that were shocking like like you had to make a law about like not having sex in the street because somebody was having sex in the street like it's not a i i don't know if that's exactly the example but like yeah uh, yeah yeah there's yeah people there's definitely lots of raunchy tunes there's some there's some uh not recency uh there's some like archive errors possibly where like we have so few collections that we maybe only the raunchy one survives oh sure yeah um, yeah. like william dixon is kind of notorious for uh double entendre but he's sort of the only piper's collection we have from Mm. the uh border piping tradition uh chris ormiston he's this amazing northumbrian small piper was just posting on social media that he got a he got a facebook warning for uh like a like a you know a violation or whatever from facebook for posting a tune because mm. it was a dixon tune i don't know what the mm. tune was but he like Those posted dirty, the title of the dixon, dixon tune tunes. and they're like that is a violation of our policy <laughs> like, it, it's, it's funny title. though like like in that episode that you did like there was uh who was it was supposed to cock up his beaver right? yeah hey johnny cock up the beaver so yeah. that's that's one of those weird situations where it's like that sounds super dirty but it wasn't yeah but then yeah wasn't at the time right super filthy sounding now uh at the time would have meant would have been pretty obvious to everyone hearing it that it was talking about a hat and yeah. wearing it as a tricorn just like um, so innocent yeah and, but then there's so again many not things... to suggest that they didn't have all kinds of crass language obviously right but, that's the yeah. thing is that like there's a lot of that kind of slang that might exist in tune titles today that we would see as being perfectly innocent because right. they don't carry that meaning yeah. and 
And that yeah, I, was, brings I was surprised. Me... I'm surprised that so many of them are, are like that. But anyway, go ahead. I, I was glad that you touched on the that one, the Bonnie Black Hair. The um, yeah. the Tinkers did did that on one of their oh, recent really? albums. Yeah, I can't remember if it was Big Bottle of Bad Ideas or the one right before or after that. It was one of their most most recent two albums. One of those. I just but, haven't listened to any of it. It's I haven't listened to any Tinkers. I thought is so. Is Jones one of the pipers on the Wicked Tinkers, or did he used to be E.B. Jones? Is it? Um, Not that I know of. Not that I, I don't think of. I've ever listened to the Wicked Tinkers. I remember seeing their albums around, but I just I never. That's I was like, like a brother Seven Nations kid. I just never. Ah, um, uh, and I see, yeah, that's. I was a brother kid without knowing it, but I was very much a Wicked Tinkers kid. Like that's where I cut my teeth, you know. So like yeah. that's. That's gonna forever be a reference for me for sure. But I I blushed when I heard the Bonnie Black Hair on their album though. It's yeah. vile. I mean, it's so. I mean, whatever. It's not vile. It's just. It's very graphic. It's, it like, is. It's like yeah. A, a lot of these like naughty tunes. It's like ha ha ha. How silly. But it's because it's veiled enough that you can just kind of yeah. giggle. You know, like that one gets pretty close to not veiled at all. You know, yeah. it's. Yeah. Um, but uh, what what this what what this was bringing me to, uh, Jeremy is I wanted to ask you what you think. We've already talked about what's in the lyrics. If you were to sing a song, what is what power might be in a title? If you encounter a tune title before you hear the melody, how does that inform your experience of that melody? So, if you heard a different tune title, how would that have made your whole experience with the song different? My knee-jerk reaction is to say not at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, um just because there's so many different titles for the same tune. And yeah, like, well that's, you would say that, wouldn't you? Because you are keenly aware of how many yeah. different titles a single tune could have. And the funny thing is, like, there are some people whose, like, super ability is remembering the titles of all the tunes. Yeah, I know a guy like that. that person. <laughs> like, I don't, I can't remember a damn, like, I can't remember anything. Like, the every, every tune that I play... I know, I, I probably, I don't know. Like, I don't know what my repertoire is. Like, I don't know what I could... I'm, I, I think I could sit down and play for, I know I could sit down and play for like a, a couple hours without repeating a tune, but I would maybe know the name of five of those, you know, like mm-hmm. more than that. But like, I, I have no idea. I do not keep titles uh, in my head at all. So, I, I'm like um, that too. I mean, even like common March tunes, like I, I have a hard time remembering which one is Baron Rocks and which one is, is the, you know, Green Hills of Tyrol. I have to have somebody sing the first few bars for me every time. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't really changed. It it hasn't affected me. I'm sure it does for some, some folks. Um, Mm -hmm. but also I think the more you get into like, maybe because of looking at 18th century and, you know, or older, older collections of tunes, sometimes they're so disconnected. Like it doesn't. Yeah. Well, it's (laughs) like, like, what if lament of a druid was actually called the night we had the goats? Right. Right. Like, I mean, that's it. The, that's a great example of the night we had the goats is a happy little dance tune. (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, um, I just, and maybe I do too much like imagery in my brain when I listen to stuff and I'm not arguing for a point either. I I suspect that this is different for different people, you know, like you're, like you're saying, like your experience of like looking through all of these and knowing all these different titles and stuff, you know, probably has made you somewhat immune to being affected by it in a way, you know, but I'm just thinking like if I encountered, Lament of a Druid, and with the title The Night We Had the Goats, I might start imagining, like, the goats died somehow, you know? The, the, or they <laughs> right, sacrificed right. the goats, maybe? Right. You know, something like that. Um, I wonder, I wonder, you, you say Bayern Rocks of Aiden, um, 
And like, that's a great example of like, that's a tune I know, Mm -hmm. but, uh, it's sort of, there's a, there's a weird thing that happens when you, when you grow up as a kid learning all these bagpipe tunes, but Mm -hmm. you've never been to that place. Like we, I think we've talked about this before and maybe not on the podcast, but just in general, how like Scotland and Ireland take on this weird mythic, not real fantasy land. Like it might as well be middle earth, you know? Totally. Um, and there's this weird thing that happens when you're driving around, scotland and you're like oh that's cullen bay oh that's cullen <laughs> bay um that's gotta be so like, weird <laughs> yeah so like barren rocks of aiden like i have no idea where that is or yeah. what that is or what that's referring to so like it didn't mean anything to me when i learned it and it still doesn't it probably will mean something to me if i ever you know like it like every time i play cullen bay now i remember driving past cullen bay and then going and bay, yeah. eating Cullen Sink or Cullen Skink soup with our friend Elma Goodlad from Shetland, who lives in Fraserborough, yeah. who like hosted us for a, a couple days or whatever. Like, um, but before then, it was just a tune. Like, it's it's all. It might as well be in French or in Gaelic or in some other language. I don't yeah. understand, right? Like, but I think that's part of learning when you your first exposure to the stuff is when you're so young and you have so few experiences in the world. Like, it's not. I don't even know that I... It's sort of a rose such a clatter thing. The uh, yeah. rose such a ladder. Yeah. I mean, that's a great example of what you're saying with your mom's story. Or your mom's the story. song, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's... um, And, and so many of these tunes have that kind of format. It's uh, a person, place, or thing that I don't actually have any direct experience with. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Well, um, what about... Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of another tune, Cave of Enchantment and Mio in the yeah. Land of Far Away. Oh, yeah. this is uh, talking about Scotland, right? <laughs> uh, I don't even know. Because uh, for me, that's the land of far away, and I might oh, probably sure. filled with the caves of enchantment. Well, this is funny. Uh, so, "Meal in the Land of Far Away" uh, is not a traditional tune. Um, I so this is again part of my like happiness of playing uh, second octave stuff or kind of weird weird things on Highland Pipes. Oh yeah, and this was I, okay, it was pinching on Highland Pipes, right? It wasn't. Maybe? I'm not, I don't remember exactly, but At first, that's of, what I thought it was and then I was like, wait, are these his border pipes? I couldn't tell. So. Oh, I don't I, I should check. <laughs> I've listened to this other. album it wasn't a couple a whistle, times. That's for sure. Not the in, whistle. In preparation. Uh, I think it's Highland Pipes. Um, but yeah, the uh, Me and the Land of Faraway is like one of my childhood films. Um, okay, I thought I remembered you mentioning that on one of yeah. the episodes. Yeah. Why do I think? It, why do I think? Those are Highland Pipes. Was Tom Cruise in that movie? Christian Bale. It's no, Christian. It's one of right. Christian Bale's. Because I, I think uh, I saw it when I was little things. too, but like I had I had forgotten completely until you started to describe it. You know? Yeah. It's like it's, I have like little flashes of it in my memory. I think it played on TV a yeah. bunch when we were kids. Or maybe not a bunch, but some. But I think Christopher Lee is the bad guy. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's good. It is some good childhood fantasy stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, Cave of Enchantment, and then I, I had a set. So Cave of Enchantment comes from one of my favorite, like, all-time collections of tunes, which is the Straight and Scullern country dance tunes. And um, I had a set of uh, Cave of Enchantment and Exeter Change I was going to put on here on Inland Pipes, and then... And then just, I started playing Cave of Enchantment on Highland Pipes, realizing that I could, like, do some second octave stuff. And then just, it led to me playing the soundtrack from Mio in the Land of Far Away. And it was sort of this weird thing of, like, this isn't historic, but, like, I'm, I'm giving myself an out. So, like, I have a couple outs on this album, and those are, 
like the Barry Shears tunes, like Brenda Stibbert's is not 18th or early 19th century. Mm. And, um, uh, and, uh, little cascade. And then also me on the land of far away isn't, but it kind of fits, you know, like me on the land of far away. It doesn't sound that far off from cave of enchantment. Like they know. Yeah. They well. go together. Great. Yeah. 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 It's good stuff though. So, I mean, 10, 10 points for a very cool title. Like, speaking of do the titles matter right these are very yeah. cool titles for sure they're definitely definitely very cool um what then what like give I'm, i guess i'm looking for a thesis here jeremy like Ooh. what like this spoke to you because of your childhood right it was a thing that you know is in you somehow right and you yeah. it's a part of your experience um like how many borders if you will dissolve as you do the work you're doing you know of figuring out which tune informed which tune and where it came from and who moved from what place to another place and how many decades this this might have spanned you know how many nice neat clean categories have ceased to be neat clean categories are there any neat clean categories left in your mind that's interesting uh yeah not really. Uh, <laughs> I think like there's there's a certain level of um, there's a there's a weird there's a weird thing where we have I was talking about William Dixon before and like William Dixon is the source for border pipe repertoire, right? Like yeah. we've got one book of a person that we think was a border piper, uh, and that that tune book comes from 1733, and so we have decided that this is what the border repertoire is, is what William Dixon has in his tune book. The problem with that is that what William Dixon has in his tune book is very similar to what Oswald was doing in, in Edinburgh, like, ten years later. It's mm. variation sets. Like, I don't know that there's anything inherently borderific about having a melody and variations on it. Um, it's just that we have this snapshot of border music from the one book we have that's for sure from a border piper, mm. or probably from a border piper, and it does the thing that all music was doing that all popular music was doing at that time. So then we have this sense of like, well, border music should have variations on a theme and it should occasionally go up into the high B's and high C's maybe. Mm. And that's what border piping music should sound like. It's like, well, that's what it sounded like in 1733. Cause that's what popular music sounded like in 1733. I don't know that it's really, uh, accurate to, and, I, I think we're limiting ourselves or kind of diluting ourselves in thinking that that's what border music, uh, should always sound like on, on border pipes is what William Dixon was doing. Cause there's not like William Dixon is part of his generation as much as anybody else is. And he's um, William Dixon too, right? Like, like there are, there are pipers out there with like really clearly distinguishable isms yeah. of their own, you know? I mean, yeah. we've talked about Bridget Campbell. You can, you can recognize that, that, that gal's playing when she plays, you know, and yeah. Fred Morrison comes to mind, you know, there are some Fred isms that Fred does. And, if by some weird accident, the only piping music that survived <laughs> from this era was one book of Fred Morrison's tunes, yeah, would a Fred Morrisonism be interpreted as this is what everybody did, right? Yeah, yeah, dude, you nailed it. You get an A in my class. That that would be like, this is. I have a question that felt very paternalistic. But I didn't didn't mean it, or patronizing. I didn't, I didn't take it that, that way. way. I felt like, good. The, <laughs> I felt uh, good. <laughs> there's a question I want my students to like to think about like the sources that survive, like why did that source survive? Mm. 
Um, and is there a reason to be worried about that? Or like, is that important for understanding in our analysis? And like, sometimes it's really obvious why a thing is, has survived. And like, it's because somebody wanted us to think a certain way about an event that happened mm -hmm. in their present or in the past. Um, and sometimes it's total happenstance. And William Dixon's tune book is kind of total happenstance. Like it's sort of an accident that it survived. I think it was even tried to be burned once. <laughs> like wow, really? somebody grabbed it out of a fire, right? Happy um, happenstance. Yeah. Like it's not. So yeah, that's a that's an excellent point. When we are down to like this one example of a thing that used to be the most common bagpipe in the United Kingdom, like mm -hmm. it's probably a stretch. It's maybe a stretch to say like, yeah, everybody should have sounded like this one dude. Mm -hmm. Was he like famous as being representative of his style? No, <laughs> like <laughs> there's no there's not really a hell of a lot written about William Dixon. We're not even a hundred percent sure he played border pipes, but <laughs> but we are all going to say that this is what border pipe music should sound does like. It, doesn't it seem like this would be like the the setup for the joke that like we do achieve time travel at some point? You go back in time, it turns out William Dixon is like a complete pariah in the community. Like yeah, just, just, right. just nobody likes him they all think he plays terribly yeah everybody is grossed out by how perverted his tunes are <laughs> right like, all yeah. the titles are over the top perverted and he's always got like one or two variations that break the mold and yeah. piss everybody off and ruins the dance like <laughs> right because <laughs> um, i don't know i don't know if you've like dug into that book enough yet but there's uh, the, the one thing that's characteristic of william dixon is he will switch the rhythm like Oh, one man. of the variations yes. were like, and all of a sudden, let's try a different rhythm after we've done six in a row that are kind of the same and you can predict the, the rhythm. Now we're going to change the beat. Like, ugh. Yeah, and, and that's exactly the question that I've had when I encountered that. That's hard enough for me to play, but then thinking like, this was for dancing? Right. That's, right. Like, that's like Haydn's great surprise, right? It's like, right. what what kind of, was he thumbing his nose at everybody on the dance floor by doing this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. That's that's a good. That's a sharp. That's a very sharp observation. That's, that's well, good. shucks. That's really what I was fishing for all along. Was it a yeah. chance to sound smart? So, yeah, you did it. I, I want us to uh, still catch Mrs. Boswell's jig set. Um, it's kind of it's a long. Huge. It's a long set. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it'd be a good one for going out on. You know, just kind of yeah. let it play. You know. Um, but before we go to that, I also wanted to mention. Um, I don't know how many people listening have already got the album. If they haven't yet, I'd suggest getting it. And even if you've got it, have you downloaded the tune book, the PDF? Because it's pretty darn cool. And I feel like, just praise to you, Jeremy, the, the tune book to me is like an excellent artifact example of a distillation of, not to make you make our, our friendship purely utilitarian here, but let me just tell you, like the thing that you do for me in a professional sense when it comes to you know, your podcast and stuff like that is precisely this. It's like a, you've got a curator's position here where you're utilizing not just your skill set, but also hours and hours of your time to like bring the cream to the surface. And I just <laughs> get to enjoy it. You know, like I get to just sit back and just, just take in the, the, the takes on these variations after all of the attempts that you've already gone through all the work, you know, you just, you give me the one good take, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and this tune book, you make it easy, man. You've got the info, you've got the, the handwritten manuscript and the written out manuscript that's easier to read, you know, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down. It's just a joy. And it feels like, it feels like I'm a Roman emperor just sitting in the lap of excess, you know, just like, ha I, I have an idea of how many hours of work are behind this, but I get to consume it like that, you know? <laughs> Well, that's, I think there's a, there's a real pipeline of people getting history PhDs that, um, 
either quit that or get their history PhD and immediately go into a museum or a library uh, degree because mm. there's you spend so much time in archives as a historian mm. that like like either you just love being in archives and writing about the thing or the hunt is more fun than ah, <laughs> like actually yeah. producing the thing. So yeah, I can definitely feel, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad you used it. Uh, that's always been my goal is the hope that, you know, playing these tunes on the podcast, uh, would get other people to like enjoy them and look at the tunes and the show notes, you know, have always been there of like links to this stuff, but that's, you know, that's another step. Like, yeah, I'm glad the tune book is, is being looked at by anybody. Uh, you can check out the tunes. Yeah, just in case anybody who's already got the album hasn't checked out the tune book, it's worth checking out for sure. Yeah, and even if you don't have it, like I've got the link out there. It's uh, yeah, it's true. It's, it's a tiny URL. Yeah. yeah, it's tinyurl.com slash Bannock's tune book. And I think it's even linked on Bandcamp. You can just click through it. Yeah, um, you can just click through it on Bandcamp. And I'll, and I'll have links to, to the Bandcamp album in the show notes below, as well as to several other things we mentioned during the conversation. Um, so, one well, anything else you want to tell me about, Jeremy, before we talk about Mrs. Boswell's jig? No. How long did I keep you? Let's see. What's 185 minutes in hours? I'm too tired to know. <laughs> We're at three hours. Dang. That was I the joked goal, that right? it was going to be five, and I, yeah. It probably is, could like be. episode one. I need to, yeah. uh, I need to figure out how to play one more hymn for my church organ playing tomorrow still so i'm so sorry no nah, it's not your fault like, this is on it's on it's on me i'm oh, what i was leading up to saying is like otherwise we would go for five hours <laughs> <laughs> we skipped some tracks we could have gone back and hit some more tracks but uh i thought I, th- I enjoyed the call and answer style of mrs boswell's jig was that entirely just you deciding to do it in that way or is it somehow written out that way like what oh, what no, led you to do me. that yeah, I just I love that tune so much, and I was, uh, was trying to figure out what what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And, um, that track in particular is a lot of me experimenting with uh, making like an ensemble or something, or, or I don't know, mm-hmm. just trying to make something interesting musically happening. And um, and some of it it kind of turned into like, well, I didn't put the. I, it turns into like an eight minute track kind of because I'm like, well, I didn't play this yet. Or, Oh, this would flow really well. Into I want that. one and more kinda, thing, right? Yeah. Just yeah. kind of disregarding, uh, like, you know, you've been playing for six minutes straight now. It's probably <laughs> good to go. Like, nah, I think we should tack two more Eliza Ross tunes at the end of this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Miss Boswell's jig, like that's such a great example of that John Murphy collection. Who's uh, an Irish piper publishing tunes in Scotland. And there's this thing that happens in folk music uh, or in tra- I don't know what you call this in popular music maybe where um, musicians like are no longer kept by single families as like bards or whatever and kind of mm-hmm. left to trade on their skills and kind of create people that'll be patrons of them and so you've got lots of tunes that wind up this is one of the reasons why tunes have a bunch of different names is somebody is desperate for you know mm-hmm. money or an income and like well I'll write a tune for you and then like they just play a tune that people know or people don't know, but it's like an older tune and like, well, this is Miss Boswell's jig or this is Miss Campbell's something. I think that's like the gold ring is first is like Miss Campbell's something. Um, And Miss Boswell's jig is one of these. So John Murphy's tune book is filled with these tunes that are just like named for women or people um, often, which are older tunes, but he's just clearly like selling tunes to people like to the aristocracy or to the wealthy folks of, uh, of Scotland, but miss, but often he's got these weird key signatures and cool sounding 
tunes. Um, Do you get the impression that maybe that's because he was playing with a melody? He's like, I've done this several times already. I've just got to move it up one step. And then that makes it like funky. Maybe. I don't know. I I definitely want to revisit it. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's also a weird, like he's got a weird chanter. Hmm. I I often am struck by how much more musically literate the people, I mean, obviously the people that are writing this music know what they're doing often, but like there's this sense that, well, I live in 2023, obviously I understand everything, but I never take a music theory class, you know, Mm -hmm. like this. And it's clear that they are using like the people, like John Murphy is not bound by the same musical illiteracies that I have. Like mm. he, he clearly doesn't come from a Highland bagpiping background that like didn't understand what a treble clef was. Uh, he's, he's writing in key signatures that are complicated and means that the notes are different than what they look like to me, I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Um, but anyway, it's a lovely, it's just an absolutely lovely tune. Miss Boswell's jig is maybe one of my favorite tunes ever. Um, and for a long time, it was like, when I was just absentmindedly playing music, like Miss Boswell's jig would just show up on my, my fingers mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, but yeah, I like that. I like that call response and I like that kind of build to then stop again. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the go from slow to fast is sort of such a given in in this genre of music, you For know, sure. it's, I've, I've been, I enjoyed kind of going fast to slow to fast um, and kind of experimenting with that a bit, but yeah. It's... Yeah, then the tunes, man. Sorry, I guess it just all of them are like it's sort of everything. This set almost has everything. Like there's so John Murphy, under underappreciated Irish musician from the nineteenth century. Um and then What is this Night and Cold? Beautiful air. Again, like I was playing it on it's on harp, like sort of feels absurd, but it sounds really good on harp. It's a simple melody, but it's really effective but this is from patrick mcdonald and then the beardless boy feels like a natural progression from what is this night in cold to me mm. um and that's an edward bunting tune who's like the famous i collected all the harp tunes guy from the 1790s um and then we got a good old-fashioned old feral tune with saint patrick's day and then campbell's are coming still old feral and then we got a couple eliza ross tunes to finish us out like Oh yeah, I really like that track. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just such good music. How how much of when you when you're recording these albums, like I, I totally dig that like you like having your recordings have an air of naturalness to them. But yeah. like do you have any strict limits you put on yourself for like how many specific passes you'll do on one of these tracks? Like do you would you stop before you did a track that's just your tenor drone? You know what I mean? Like to get, have that much minute control or is it more like hit record, plow through it and then maybe back it up and plow through it on another instrument, but like no more. No, I'm no not, I'm not that. that good. Uh, and, but it's weird though. Like this album more than any others, I recorded reg separately sometimes. Like I think mm-hmm. that, um, the Berlin set, I did the, the regulator separate and a couple other tracks too. But like this one, I didn't, it was too hard it was too hard to get everything. It was, it was just easier to play the regs while, while playing mm-hmm. Ill and pipes too. like, for some reason, like there's just a different, in theory, you've got more flexibility if you're not playing the chanter as well as the regs at the same time. But in another way, you, it's like limiting somehow, like mm-hmm. you kind of need that control, I guess, of having to worry about the chanter too. I, I don't know how to explain that but like, well, that makes sense um, that can inform timing and things like that for sure yeah for sure like getting yeah. it to sync up right yeah. is much harder with it but um but yeah I've, I've never done individual drone 
stuff. I've, I've definitely done drone, like sustained all the drones in the background as sure, kind yeah. of a backing track. But yeah, I never, never individual drones. That's maybe uh, a level of minutia that that would uh, make you go insane. So I don't know. Like maybe I'm, uh, this... I think different. You know, different ways from all kinds of different people. I'm always curious about people's uh, approach. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure that if I if I graduated to um, not using a USB mic, but using an actual oh, soundboard, yeah. things might change. But there's, I don't know, there's something that feels uh, like I can justify, <laughs> I can justify it by having just one microphone still feels organic enough that it's okay that it's not perfect. Whereas the more kit you get, the more it feels like, Oh, I really can't, that's not good enough. It's got to be perfect. If I've got uh, a soundboard you... and three microphones and right, whatever, yeah. I'm mixing together. Yeah, I, I understand that that line of thinking for sure. And like, it's the kind of thing that like, if it were me, I'd think the same thing about myself. But since it's not me, if it was anybody else, yourself included, I was like, don't worry about that. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, the double standard we all have for ourselves. Yeah. Well, so, somewhere in there is going to be a good spot to fade into the. Into the set. Uh, it's probably going to be a pretty nice spot.